Cocoa Crew Podcast is hosted by Cyber Ears. If you are serious about your podcast hosting needs, you should check out Cyber Ears. Whether you are a podcaster, a radio host, a musician, a narrator, an audiobook author, or simply a school, church, corporation, or anyone else with an audio recording that needs to be hosted or distributed, you should check out CyberEars.com. Unlimited bandwidth, fast, reliable, and rugged servers with no hidden fees. CyberEars, your audio, your terms. Okay, stop, 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 wait, wait, pay attention. Okay, roll the drums. Sorry, I hit the turntable at the wrong speed. You want to try it again? Action. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Podcast, a delicious adventure into the world of retrocomputing news and information featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Recording has started. (laughs) (laughs) Day two. (laughs) All right. Welcome back, Coco Cruisers, to Coco Crew, the Coco Crew Podcast, episode 23. We are coming to you live from a secure location uh, near uh, Wall, New Jersey, uh, where the Coco Crew has assembled, along with friend of the show, Boise Pete, uh, to uh, uh, to partake in the Vintage Computer Festival East and to, as a warm-up, getting ready for <coughs> the coming Coco Fest in three weeks. So, of course, I'm here with my usual co-host, Neil Blanchard. Hello, everyone. Mike Rowan. Hello. And uh, the ever-present Boise Beat. Hello. <laughs> I, of course, am John Linville. So here we are. Uh, right now, as we record, we're about three weeks out from Coco Fest. By the time you hear this, uh, it'll be even closer. So Coco Fest is almost here. Time for Coco New Year. Hooray. All right. Neil, put your pants back yep. on. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, this is here, we, we talk about Cocoa Fest and how excited we are to get there. Has anybody got any projects still running in the last minute? I know I got a uh, shipping notification from OSH or Osh Park uh, on my prototype boards for the ROM packs with the bank switching and the audio chips. That's exciting. That's cool. Um, hopefully those will be waiting for me, uh, well maybe not by the time I get back, but sometime this week, you know. Give me enough time to assemble them. Hopefully they work. <laughs> uh, also, I'm picking up the fruits of my co-host labors, helping assemble some cartridges for some games I've written. So That's we'll right. have the cartridges available for sale at Coco Fest. We'll figure out whose table they're going to sit on. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll figure that out, and they will be available for you. Any other projects in the works, guys? Uh, finished up Flooded. We'll have uh, Evan's game ready. 
Cool. And I can officially say the joypad adapters are done. Awesome. Excellent. And tested. All right. Uh, I had another run of uh, John Linville's wonderful proto boards made up, so I will have those available uh, at Coco Fest, or you can just uh, email me uh, either my address or the show address, and uh, I can hook you up. Cool. How about you, boys? You got anything in the work, or are you just uh, still trying to teach computers to be smart? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> actually, still working on that data mining presentation. That's about my only contribution this year. All right. Well, that's cool. That's cool. How about uh, acquisitions, eBay, or whatever? Did you pick anything up today at the uh, consignment shop? No. No, I didn't get anything. Yeah. Tempted on a few things, but... We were a little underwhelmed by the uh, consignment here at VCF East, at least yeah. for Cocoa stuff, I guess. Yeah, there, wasn't, yeah. there really wasn't any Cocoa stuff. There was a few kind of smaller systems like Apple II and, and Commodore 64 stuff. <laughs> and some little PC stuff. There was more... S100 stuff than you find almost anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a good day if you were S100 person <laughs> for sure. Or a Model 4. Yeah, well, there was a Model 4 or a Model th- was a 3 or 4 that was there. It's a 4. Was it? Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know, the, uh, the Corsham Tech guy was there with his SS50 stuff. That's kind of a little closer to the Coco. In terms yeah, of, yeah. Uh, that's some cool 1600 stuff. 1600 and 1609 stuff. Um, Anyway, what about, uh, you guys pick up anything off of eBay recently or anything cool like that? I picked up uh, Tandy 1000 HX awesome. and a couple Sundog games. Yeah, the Sundog games. I picked up uh, more Sundog games than I probably want to confess on this recording. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was pretty exciting to see Sundog games appear, new old stock, yeah. apparently new old stock. Um, you don't find original Cocoa software very often uh, on eBay or, or whatever, and these look perfectly pristine. Mm-hmm. So pretty exciting. I picked up a, uh, a, a Model 1, or Model 1, a Cocoa 1 chiclet keyboard. Oh, yeah. for, oh, nice. I got it for like 99 cents. <laughs> wow. So that was a good deal. That's a buy. Uh, I picked up a couple of, uh, I picked up a uh, Radio Shack Modem 1 and a Radio Shack Modem 1B. <laughs> Very cool. Um, one other thing that I picked up was uh, a listing for a uh, was it Tandy Color Computer Windows 1.0. I was like, what? To Windows? And that's not for the color computer. But, well, it kind of is. There's a, an environment for, uh, you know, runs on the Cocoa Basic on the Cocoa 3, and it's supposed to allow you to load multiple uh, programs at the same time and switch between them. And oh, that's cool. I don't know. I've heard of it and never experimented with it, so hopefully the diskettes will work and <laughs> you get a chance to play with it. Maybe it'll be the subject of a future tech segment or something like that. Yeah, that's neat. So that would be cool. Um, beyond that, uh, well, that's probably enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so then uh, we're all excited because we're here hanging out together, warming up for Cocoa Fest. Uh, anything to add to that before we cut to our break? Well, it is unusual during this recording right now because I'm actually drinking a Mountain Dew. <laughs> I also am having a Mountain Dew, my second one. That's not legal in Canada, right? <laughs> no, no. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna, I'm about to fill up on all these Kinder eggs that you brought me. Um, <laughs> Contraband chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, put those next to my Cuban cigars. Yeah, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> all right, well, why don't we take a little break and uh, spit out some kind of 
entertaining recording about Coco Fest or something. <laughs> and then we'll be back with uh, some announcements. Coco Fest, Coco Fest, can't be beat. It's the best place to go for a Coco treat. It's filled with computers and lots of fun. It's Coco Fest, everyone. Boys and girls, do you love your cocoa? Well, Coco Fest is filled with cocos, great products, and great people. No wonder all the kids love to go to Coco Fest. Coco Fest, Coco Fest, can't be beat. It's the best place to go for a cocoa treat. It's filled with computers and lots of fun. It's Coco Fest, everyone. April 22nd and 23rd, 2017, in Lombard, Illinois. All right, Coconuts, welcome back. It's time for some announcements. Uh, you are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. We are on Twitter as, of course, at Coco Crew Podcast, all one word. Uh, come find us on Twitter, send us a tweet or, you know, whatever it is you do there. Uh, if you're not into tweeting, come on over to Facebook and uh, find us. We have a group called the Coco Crew Podcast. Of course, that's four separate words <laughs> um, because, you know, we like consistency. Um, <laughs> We are, of course, available on iTunes uh, or through Google Play for your normal podcasting. If you prefer to stream, we are available through Stitcher, and we are available on TuneIn, which is the service used by Amazon Echo. And again, we'll try that uh, Amazon Echo, order all the Cocoa things. Um, (laughs) Still not working, but hey, it's fun. The Cocoa Crew Podcast, of course, is a member of the Throwback Network. If you're not familiar with the Throwback Network, it is a listing of retro-themed podcasts, including both technology, uh, gaming podcasts, and also 80s culture podcasts and, you know, other things, you know, relating to the past. (laughs) If you're looking for another podcast to fill some of your time, then I recommend you check out the Throwback Network. Uh, we are also a member of the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. Similarly, this is a listing of other retro theme podcasts. In this case, they are all technology and gaming related podcasts, uh, broken down by system. Uh, if you're again, if you're looking for another podcast to fill some of your listening time, then I recommend you check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. Link is in the show notes. Audio for the Coco Crew Podcast is hosted by Cyber Ears. If you are a host of an audio show, an audio program, a church, an audio book author, or anyone else needing audio hosted on the internet, I highly recommend you check out Cyber Ears where you will get your audio on your terms. <laughs> Should you want to reach and uh, the Coco Crew host uh, via email, we have uh, some addresses set up. We have show, S-H-O-W, at cococrew.org, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at cococrew.org, or feedback at cococrew.org. That will reach all three of the hosts, uh, John, Neil, and Mike. Uh, if you, for some reason, prefer to speak to one of us individually, or maybe just two of us and exclude the other one, whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> we, of course, are available separately as John, J-O-H-N, at CocoCrew.org, Neil, N-E-I-L, at CocoCrew.org, or Mike, M-I-K-E, at CocoCrew.org. All right, that's pretty much our standard announcement package. Um, we, of course, uh, do try to keep abreast on upcoming events of interest to our audience. 
Uh, this time we, st we still have several things in the list, but we know only one of them is truly important, and that of course is coming up on April 22nd and 23rd of 2017, the 26th annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. This will be held at the Heron Point, Heron Point Convention Center in Lombard, Illinois. Touch the Heron! Touch the Heron! Yeah. Come show up, participate in the No Minimum Bid auction, meet your favorite co-hosts, bring lots of money or cocoa stuff or both, leave some of either one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a great event. It's uh, It's been a source of a lot of pleasure and joy for the, everyone on the show today over many years and uh, many others as well I think so in fact <laughs> promoting the Cocoa Fest is pretty much the whole reason why the Cocoa Crew Podcast exists that's it treat yourself and come to Cocoa Fest yes. you'll have a ball yes so There's still time to book that room book the room why don't you actually show up you know booking the room's not enough you actually have to show up <laughs> you have to get there <laughs> follow through that's right follow through is important alright <laughs> Anyway, enough of that. We talk about Cocoa Fest enough. We'll probably be mentioning it again. Um, <laughs> moving on. The next event on the docket, VCF, Greenwich Computer Festival Southeast 5.0. This will be April 29th and 30th of 2017. So that's the week after Cocoa Fest. This will be, of course, um, in Roswell, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. It's usually a pretty good event. I've been to several of these. Uh, I know Boise has been to some of them too, um, and uh, you know, it's a good event with speakers. Uh, I think they're actually expecting uh, speakers this year include Andy Hertzfeld, primary author of the original Macintosh system software, and Don French, which they list as software pioneer, TRS-80 pioneer, uh, Don French. So anyway, um, you know, they can misuse Don French, we'll put them to better use later in the year for something else. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, if you're a retro computing enthusiast in the Atlanta area or otherwise in the southeastern part of the United States, I recommend that you check out the Vintage Computer Festival Southeast 5.0. <laughs> if in, instead you're much farther south uh, in, <laughs> in Rio or other parts of Brazil, uh, then I recommend you check out the um, third Encontro Club of Color Rio. I'm sure I'm mangling the beautiful language of, of Portuguese terribly when I say that, especially the way the Brazilians speak it. Um, but anyway, this is uh, kind of the, the, the Brazilian or Rio de Janeiro version of, color, of Coco Fest. Always looks like a good fun time. Uh, they bring out their various... Uh, cocoa clones and whatnot, and uh, do cool stuff with them, and it looks like a good time. Looks like a fun group. It does. I wish we could join them. Yeah. So if you are in uh, Rio de Janeiro, well, if you're in Rio de Janeiro, I don't know. Maybe it's not the best thing, but <laughs> maybe there's other things to do. But if you think it'd be cool to go to a retro computing event, and you're in or near Rio, then I'd recommend you check out... It should the, be one of the things you do. Yeah, yes. one of the yeah, things yeah. you check out in Rio. It should be the Encontro Club of Color Rio, April 29th, 2017. All right, following that, June 9th through 11th, 2017, the Southern Fried Game Room Expo. And who's going to be attending that? I will. <laughs> yeah. I'm... I'm 
leaning toward it. I, I hope to. So Mike's hoping to go. Boise is committed or close to committed or uh, already committed. Already going. Oh, you're in. Already bought the tickets. So um, it's, it looks like a cool event. Uh, let's see. What do, what do they have on their site here? Um, of course, this will be held at the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly Hotel and Convention Center. Um, Southern Fried Game Room Expo features more than 250 arcade pinball and console machines. The fourth annual Southern Fried Pinball Tournament Tabletop Gaming and Vendor Expo, exciting programs and guest speakers, movie screenings, and so much more. <laughs> Sounds like a cool event. Uh, interacted with the, the organizers a little bit on uh, social media. They seem like nice folks. I uh, hope you'll check it out and have a good time. All right, moving on. July 18th to 23rd, 2017. This, of course, is Kansas Fest 2017. Kansas Fest is an Apple II-oriented event. Um, this will be the 29th annual Apple II convention. Uh, of Let's see, that's going to be um, the uh, guys from Brutal Deluxe Software will be there. If you know what that is, that should be exciting. <laughs> of, of note, as of today, April 4th, First, or as of maybe it's yesterday, March 31st, one way or another, uh, registration is open for Kansas Fest. If you want to go, go and register it's because <laughs> they, they do fill up. Anyway, check it out. It's a cool event. Uh, you know, it's a, a lengthy event. It's uh, You spend a week with other like-minded geeks talking about old computers. It's hard to imagine anything better, right? <laughs> so, again, that is Kansas Fest, July 18th to 23rd. Uh, 2017. Alright, following up, uh, let's see, we are at um, the Commodore Vegas Expo version 13.0, July 29th to 30th of 2017. This, of course, will be held in Las Vegas at the Plaza Casino. Um, let's see, the Fresno Commodore Users Group and Las Vegas Commodore Enthusiasts have worked hard to make this year's effort the best Commodore show in the United States. I have no idea how many Commodore shows there are in the United States. May or may, may not be difficult to be the best. I don't know. But I assume being best is a good thing. But I know one thing. <laughs> the high rollers get an Amiga 4000. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> uh, it says, meet other Commodore and Amiga enthusiasts, see demos and presentations on and about the Commodore 128, Commodore 64, Plus 4, DTV, VIG-20, PET, and Amiga. Come and present your own Commodore projects. Find those hard-to-find goodies at the vendor tables, and of course, the exciting Las Vegas, the city of lights in the desert. Now, if you're a true Commodore fan, I don't know why you wouldn't be here at VCF East, where you could have met Bill Hurd, yeah. uh, who's uh, quite an entertaining fellow and uh, <laughs> uh, has lots of cool stories, and uh, is actually pretty nice just to hang out with. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, maybe he'll maybe he'll join you there. I have no idea what his plans are. <laughs> anyway, so again, that's July 29th through 30th, 2017. All right, one more Coleco Expo, August 5th, 6th, that's, of 2017. That's Sophie Reynolds Fest, right? That's the Sophie Reynolds yeah, Fest, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, again, that's held somewhere here in New Jersey. I always have trouble figuring it out when I get to clicking over here. Anyway, um, it is a Coleco event. Uh, looks like it's set up for collectors of Coleco things. It probably includes Coleco Vision as well as Cabbage Patch Kids and God knows whatever <laughs> else. 
uh, come meet Sylvia Reynolds and Tyler Bushnell and play ColecoVision games and trade comics and whatever else. I don't know. Never been to this event. I don't know anybody who's been to this event. I might be plugging the wrong event. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got a cute girl, right? It does have a it's very, got Sophie Reynolds, yeah. A very attractive young woman named Sophie Reynolds <laughs> as part of the show, so I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Um, anyway, that's August 5th, 6th, 5th and 6th of 2017. Of course, if you were on the west coast of the United States, California or whatnot, August 5th and 6th, same days of 2017, uh, we have Vintage Computer Festival West. Um, and that's number 12, I think, or whatever the number it is. Anyway, that's going to be held at the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California. Um, should be a cool event. You get to see lots of old computers. Uh, I think they've got, let's see, their exhibits, hands-on exhibits are presented Saturday and Sunday. You'll find demos of 60s mini computers, 70s homebrew systems, 80s, 8-bitters, and a few oddities. Uh, let's see, speakers. Come see our impressive keynote speakers. Details to be announced soon. Uh, and it looks like they offer some amount of consignment. Um... Anyway, just going to the Computer History Museum in Mountain View is kind of a cool thing to do, too. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, that is VCF West, 12, August 5th or 6th, 2017. That brings us to the end of our announcements. Now, leave anything out, guys? I don't think so. That's it. All right, well, that's certainly all that's on our list. So, all right, Coco Cruisers, bear with us. We're going to take another little break, and we'll be back... Uh, in just a bit with some news. Hi, Sullivan Antonio here with a great product that'll change your life. No more door mid-April weekends filled with boring conversation. No more wondering what to do with your cocoa. All this from one amazing product, Cocoa Fest. With this incredible product, you get full access to technical presentations, hardware vendors, software vendors, demonstrations, podcasters and videocasters, a host of new friends, a sense of accomplishment, not to mention delicious barbecue and the no minimum bid auction. But wait, there's more. Similar products cost thousands more and promote poor posture and tooth decay. We've got Coco Ones, Coco Twos, Coco Threes, Coco FPGAs, Dragons, MC10s, and more. I've tried it, and Coco Fest can really change your life. It'll put a spring in your step and reinvigorate your mind. Coco Fest, April 22nd and 23rd in Lombard, Illinois. Become part of the equation. Hold tight while we pause for the cause. Here's a color computer monitor bargain from your nearby Radio Shack. Save $50 on our exclusive Tandy CM8 RGB analog color monitor. Only $249.95 during this sale. It's designed specifically for the Color Computer 3. It's a perfect complement to the superb graphics capabilities of the Color Computer 3 and produces sharp, crisp text and dazzling graphs and illustrations. The sale price Tandy CM8 color monitor. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. All right, Coco Cruisers, welcome back. Here we are with some news. Our first news item this month is a little sad. Uh, we want to pay our, our final respects uh, to uh, Glenn Vanden Bigler, someone we mentioned on the show a number of times. Glenn had a certain knack for 
acquiring uh, sometimes hard to find cocoa items and he uh, did the community a service by making them available to those who were interested in buying them. Uh, unfortunately, we've recently heard of Glenn's passing. Uh, this was via Facebook, we heard about it. Sounds like it was sudden. Um, I don't think he suffered or anything like that, but I really don't know the details at this point. Yeah. Um, we do know that he, uh, like I said, we know that he's passed, and I uh, would just like to pay our respects. So for anybody who doesn't recognize his name, he ran the, the Coco Lounge yeah, right. website and, 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 and he also, lots of Amiga and uh, Coco yeah. stuff. He also, yeah, he ran the Amiga Lounge as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people probably know him by that. Yeah. So, uh, again, sorry to hear about it. And, uh, you know, see you on the other side, Glenn. All right. Well, moving on. Got a couple of things, uh, a couple of links here from uh, uh, Matt Pandina. These are not... Cocoa uh, specific links, but these are, you know, I like to throw in things that are kind of inspirational or whatever. Um, there's a system out there that's it's a more modern system called Oozebox or Oozybox or I'm not really sure how it's pronounced, I guess, but um, it's built around an AVR microprocessor, so it has something in common with with the Arduino. But instead of being built out for doing uh, interfacing to analog circuits and that sort of thing, it's built out as a little game system. And so uh, there are people building custom games that run on this AVR processor and uh, you know put out composite video and that sort of thing. Um, and they're, they're basically 8-bit or maybe 16-bit style games, the kind of things that you'd expect somebody listening to this podcast to enjoy. Um, the hardware, well, I think the hardware is open source. Um, there's a few people who provide it, um, variants of it. Um, anyway, if you haven't heard of it before, I think, you know, some people might be interested in it. And I've got a couple of links here. And they're getting started with the Oozebox video game console, and there's part one and part two. And so, to kind of give you an idea of what it's like to develop for these game systems, um, and, um, you know, that can be, uh, if you're looking for something beyond the Coco or different from the Coco, this can be your Coco 4. <laughs> yeah. But more importantly, if you're used to building games on the Oozebox, or if you pick one up and you like a game on the Oozebox, you might be able to put it, move it back to the Coco 3 or Coco 2 even. Um, so, Do you know anything about the development environment for that? Well, it's, uh, it's C. It's GCC for okay. the VR oh, processor. Um, I, think, I think the video signals are actually controlled by the processor, so part of the processing time actually is responsible for generating some of the video signal. That constrains some of the processing time right. available for, mm -hmm. for doing game logic, but that's kind of part of the point, is to deal with the restrictions. Right, similar right. to Coco. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, it's uh, something, you know, I've got some of this hardware. I uh, haven't done a lot with it, but it, mostly because of life or whatever. Um, but it looks pretty cool to me. If you check out uh, Uzibox, you can go before it, U-Z-E-B-O-X. Um, you'll see the games and, you know, the controller. It takes uh, Super NES controllers. Oh, that's and, good. Um, uh, pretty easy to find or whatever. It has composite video output. And uh, you, you load up an SD card with several games and play stuff on it. 
to give you a little bit of a retro feel. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool system. So, anyway, uh, check it out. You may want to write games for it, or you may just want to get it and let other people write games for you. Like I said, it's just a little bit more modern of a system. and yeah. With the retro feel. With the retro mm-hmm. feel, yeah. So, check those out. That's, um, all right, moving on. The next link, again, this is uh, Usborn. I think that's how you pronounce the, the, the publisher. We mentioned this earlier in an earlier episode, how this uh, Usborn is a, a book publisher from the UK, and in the 80s they had uh, a set of computer books uh, that they published. Um, you know, introductions to computer, that sort of stuff. And they're the kind of books that have, like, listings of basic code and that sort of stuff in them. And that's fine, and they might be the kind of thing that, as a retro collector, you might be trying to find on eBay or whatever, except that they've made uh, some of those old books, a number of them, available for download of PDFs to anybody who wants them. And uh, this announcement is that they've released five more of those books, um, and uh, one of them is about computer-controlled robots. And um, very cool. Let's see what else have they released? Uh, keyboards and computer music, uh, experiments with computers. A couple of them on basic, some better basic and uh, practice. Your basic is practice spelled with the S, like the UK folk like to do. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, so it's a cool source of material for reading if you're looking for that sort of thing. Um, so, Boise, what do you do when you want to brush up on your basic skills? Uh, do you, uh... I call OS9. <laughs> <laughs> basic 09. Basic 09 now? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> that too. So, anyway, um, again, it's, it's just a... You know, it's a cool resource, and uh, it's cool that this company has reached back into its own past and taken content that it already paid to produce and is making them no money and uh, and made it available to us. Yeah. And it probably still makes them no money in that sense, except that it's a very nice goodwill gesture, and that For sure. makes me a lot more interested to look at the list of other books that they provide. So maybe it's not yeah. such a bad idea. Anyway... So, if you're looking for a book, a basic book or whatever, then uh, check it out. All right, this next one, Secret Colors of the Commodore 64. Ooh, again, not a Cocoa Cocoa article per se, or or at all, really. But, uh, so it it talks about, um, well, so the, the, the Commodore 64 could only produce 16 colors. They were fixed. Not not just 16. You know, it's not like the Coco 3 that could produce 16 at a time out of 64. Right. There were just 16 colors that the Coco, that the, I'm sorry, that the Commodore 64 could produce. Um, but this guy talks about a certain game that he played and he was familiar enough with the system to know what the 16 colors were and then to know that the dragon or whatever that they put on the screen was a different color than that. So how the hell did they do that? <laughs> right. And so he goes on to kind of describe it, and so basically what they do is uh, he, uh, or they switched between two different colors in the same location and got a blend of that to produce this other color. Well, that is essentially what I did uh, a few years back, uh, and you can read about it on my VDG Tricks uh, blog. Um, 
and uh, I used it to produce a game called Sluzzle, which is a sliding puzzle game, but it showed off my 44 color picture mode uh, on the Coco 1 and 2. And so anyway, I included it here because it's pretty much the same concept. It's a different system, but it's pretty well described. And so you may want to check it out and uh, see if you understand it. If, uh, if you ever wanted to understand what my VDG tricks was up and if it, I didn't describe it well enough, <laughs> then maybe this will do it for you. But, uh, you know, like you, like you say, include these other system stuff because a lot of times it's sort of the same it's thing. Cross. It's just a different yeah. machine for the implementation, but it's still the same theory or whatever. So that's what we've got here. You might want to add a link in the show notes for your uh, blog yeah, as well. Yeah, I should put a link in the show notes for the VDG Tricks blog. But, uh, all right, so the next two links are, uh, they're both from Jim Geary. And Jim Geary's kind of been back in the news for a while now. He got a little slow there for one or two months, but he's uh, been back with us. And... Um, so yeah, he's reestablished his drinking game status. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's some some of the other podcasts talk about Kevin Savitz, who's a little bit of a personality in, out in the retro world, and how they have to mention Kevin Savitz every episode. Well, we don't have ever mention Kevin Savitz except for like right now. But Jim Gary is our guy. We got to yeah, mention Jim right. Gary every yeah, episode. Jim, that's <laughs> our Kevin. It's not a podcast without Jim Gary. <laughs> that's right. So. So anyway, Jim has uh, been doing some more porting, and uh, this is uh, he's ported Caves of the Unwashed Heathen, which is a, a game from the Coco, and he's porting it to the MC10. Um, and so that's pretty cool. It's a little bit different than his normal MO. You know, a lot of times he's picking up a game from another system and porting it into, usually into the MC10, sometimes to the Coco, and. Quite often, once it's on the MC10, he ports it to the Coco. In this case, he's porting it from the Coco to the MC10. To the MC10. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? It looks neat. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> so does. So I guess it's like an adventure game of some sort. I'm not real familiar. Yeah, a little, little maze adventure game where you kind of go hunting treasures. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. So we've got two links here because he, he posted a second one as an update uh, for the same game, though. But it's kind of cool. He's got it. It looks like you're reading a scroll that talks about... Uh, it's got this uh, uh, role-playing game style of attributes for your character, you know, strength and dexterity. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. So, yeah, so it's cool. Looks like uh, Jim is, again, hard at work. I know Jim also joined our Retro Challenge for this month, so uh, <laughs> he's a busy dude. He's busy. That's why there's only <laughs> one thing he's working on here, because he's saving the rest for... for retro he's also, Challenge, yeah. He's also in the 10-line ten, ten basic uh, contest. He's got entries there, yeah. oh, plus wow. Retro Challenge. So he is a busy he's, dude this month, <laughs> so we're only going to like name him just this one thing, probably. You know? <laughs> um so well, best of luck in the retro challenge yeah, <laughs> yes that's right. and the 10 line game yes uh, ten yeah. line basic stuff is pretty good 10 liner all right <laughs> so our next one comes uh from uh from jenny list at hackaday i don't think i've ever met jenny but i see her name on a lot of articles uh, related to retro computing anyway the article uh the title doing it with fewer bytes than bill gates so ooh. <laughs> Sounds a little <laughs> yeah. risque. What are we talking about? Well, so so in the picture of the article that shows an Altair computer, and of course the original Altairs, you know, they came with this this blinking light front panel with a bunch of switches, 
what they didn't come with was any sort of ROM to boot with. <laughs> and so if you wanted to do anything with it, you had to, to load, put code on it through the front panel that usually involved putting on some code that would then read something else to read in some more code. And it's kind of a, the technique called bootstrapping, right, where you're pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is an awkward image, but that's where the term comes from, is it's you, you know kind of an awkward process to make a computer from, from just a piece of junk into something useful, <laughs> right? So he's talking about how you had keying in a bootloader, uh, and in the Altair manual there's a couple of bootloader listings, one's 21 bytes, one's 20 bytes. Apparently Bill Gates himself is on record as saying uh, their first effort was 46 bytes, but he managed to get it down to 17 bytes. And so now this guy, has uh, he's got a bootloader for his Altair 8800, uh, and it's only 14 bytes. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so this is classic retro computer, you know, optimization. And in this case, it's really important to make the byte size wide because you actually have to go and flick switches for every byte. Yeah. And so the more bytes there are, the more likely you are to make a mistake and have wasted all your time and have to go off and do it again. Right. So if you have 14 bytes, that's you're a lot more likely to get that right than 46 bytes or even 20 bytes, right? So anyway... Again, not strictly speaking cocoa, well, not cocoa at all, but it's kind of in that same spirit. Sometimes yeah. you work on a project and there's a reason to work on stuff and see if you can make it better or smaller yeah. or whatever. Constantly improve it. Yeah, exactly. So this uh, happy-looking fellow has managed to do that with his uh, Altair. So moving on to the next thing. Photos of CP450 Caretaker for Victor Truco. This is on the Club Color Brazil group, which of course is primarily the language is Portuguese. Uh, fortunately, um, Facebook is have, provides a reasonably helpful uh, automated translation to English. Uh, it's not perfect, but it does help quite a bit. And so what are we really showing here? Well, if you look at the pictures, you can see what appears to be a, a pretty standard looking Cocoa floppy controller. I'm not sure of the exact model. But it's kind of in a box <laughs> with a ribbon cable attached to the end that would normally be plugged into a Coco. And so the CP400 clones that were prevalent in Brazil, um, the, they have a, slot, a cartridge slot that's compatible with, electrically compatible with the Coco cartridge slot. But the plastic that's all wrapped around it <laughs> is smaller. And so you can't plug just any old cocoa, even the circuit board, certainly not even a cartridge case, you can't plug it straight in. Right. Uh, sometimes you can take them out of their case and plug the circuit board just in. Just the board. Um, but the floppy controllers are too big for that. And so this apparently is something that was set up so that you could put, uh, put your floppy controller on a stick, so to speak. <laughs> and plug that cable into the CP400. Awesome. And then use a floppy controller from the Coco with your CP400. So now some of that's my interpretation based on a few pictures and some comments in Portuguese. So I could be wrong on some of the details. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of neat. I'm glad to see the picture. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of cool to think, you know, sometimes we have questions about, well, just how compatible are some of these clones or whatever. Uh, so it sounds like in this case, the you'd have uh, uh, 
a, uh, a lot of high degree of compatibility behind the, yeah. between the CP400 and the Coco if you can plug the, the Coco's controller in and have it work. Right. 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 So uh, looking at some of these other pictures, it's not just a controller in a box, it's a controller in a box with a floppy disk underneath it, a floppy drive underneath it, so uh, even cooler, right? So anyway, that's our picture from Victor. All right, now this one I'm not sure I know a lot about. I'm kind of kind of reading between the lines, um, but what it appears to me, uh, we have a link here uh, to a YouTube video from Near Dairy, and Near is someone known in the Atari 8-bit world uh, for doing some pretty cool hardware hacks. And so I'm not sure how much acceleration or whatever he may have added in here, but it looks to me like they've got something you can add on with an Atari 8-bit and uh, and make it capable of emulating the ZX Spectrum. Now, you know, the Atari 8-bit, of course, is a 6502 processor. The ZX Spectrum was a Z80 processor. That's pretty far apart. That's a big difference. And so to effectively emulate one, not to mention the fact that the graphic systems are just completely different, I mean, the Atari graphic system is pretty flexible. I don't know, maybe you can put it in a mode that looks similar to the ZX Spectrum. I don't think so, but maybe you can. Um, anyway, this is pretty neat. So this is, again, this is one of those things set up there, like kind of like a challenge. So, well, <laughs> let's see the Coco do something like this. I, yeah. I'd like to see the Coco emulate other systems. Um, that's pretty impressive. I know back in the days when the uh, you know the Amiga was a big king shit on the on the uh, <laughs> on the on the world, um, the fact that it could emulate all these other systems was supposed to be a mark of excellence, right? So yeah. I think Coco should be able to emulate some systems. Uh, That's right. What was it I was saying? We should emulate. Uh, well, we were saying we should write an Enigma emulator for the Coco. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Would be, would be <laughs> so, okay, so if you can't write up a, a ZX Spectrum emulator for the Amiga or for the Coco, then I'll accept an Enigma emulator. So you know, if you can have that ready <laughs> by Coco Fest, uh, then you know, let me know. <laughs> Got three weeks. Three. Okay. Well, maybe next year's Coco Fest. <laughs> And you still do it in time for Tandy Assembly. Well, that's true. In October. Very true. All right. So, here's an odd link. Um, let's see. So, it says, learning to play music should be more of just that, playing. Why not make everything fun? With that in mind, here's a new mini-series, exploring how to make your synthesizer of choice do whatever you want. From burping and farting to shooting out lasers, sonically, of course. <laughs> and so, this is some sort of little tutorial on uh, how to manipulate music synthesizers into making um, some odd noises. <laughs> so, I've included it here because this is the kind of knowledge you need when you're designing noises or sounds for games. You need to understand why certain kinds of patterns or whatever produce certain kinds of sounds and uh, or at least you need to know certain kinds of patterns do produce certain kinds of sounds <laughs> and right. so so this little tutorial might be helpful to you if you're you know if you're trying to um, write the next uh, wreck it ralph clone for the coco and you need a super duper sound for when he says he's going to wreck it uh, <laughs> or when he's pushed off the top of the building and lands in the mud or whatever, 
However you, however you're going to produce those sounds, uh, you may want to understand how that kind of stuff works. Um, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, you, you can simulate a lot of, of uh, classic analog synthesizers on most computers these days. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. So the controls are very reminiscent. I, many moons ago, I had a, uh, a mini Moog synthesizer with all of these you know controls and everything and it's kind of interesting i mean it might be good for somebody to go through because a lot of the sound chips you know you have controls over the sound envelope and mm -hmm. the attack and the decay and you know this might be a more graphic way for somebody to pick up understand those concepts so. sure and you know whether you're using a sound chip or not you know you, even if you're just using the deck you know you can yeah i'm making sound at all you know? yeah so anyway threw it in there hopefully it's useful to you if it's not, well, don't use it. <laughs> All right, so the next link is pretty generic, and it's actually a Linux-oriented link, and you might say, well, why is this here? Basic image editing with GIMP. And so I'm, of course, a Linux advocate. I am not, however, a GIMP expert by any means. In fact, recently I had to rely very heavily on Mr. Rowan to <laughs> help me do something fairly simple in GIMP, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, I do know that GIMP can produce fantastic results with lots of graphic stuff. You just sort of have to you have to know a certain amount to get started. You have, you have to buy in, you have to pay the ante, whatever. Uh, so maybe if you look at uh, a... Uh, a tutorial like this that maybe that helps to get you past the ante up and <laughs> make you an expert at producing graphics with GIMP and then once you have the graphics then you can do things like well you know you can produce uh, stuff for selling cartridges or whatever for Cocos. You make your own labels. The, you can use the graphics as assets in a game um, you know, so whether you're mm -hmm. producing a newsletter or an actual game or something in between, yeah. uh, whatever. I, I use GIMP to make the uh, title pages for the PDC versions of the podcast. So when you see that artwork when you play the PDC files, that was all done in GIMP. Yeah, so there you go. So why is GIMP here? Well, you should look at GIMP. If you want to do stuff on the Coco that involves graphics, if you want to do stuff on your PC, uh, you, obviously you can use GIMP on your PC, but sometimes it's a nice step in between. You start on your PC and you can get it to something that you can then load on your Cocoa and do something with. So, yeah, and it, yeah, I run it on my Mac and on Linux. There you go. All right. Okay, so the next link. This is kind of weird. 2017-03-27 updated the site with a newer, darker theme from Guillaume Major, Major, whatever. You know, tell me how to pronounce your name. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard from you on that. Please send us phonetic uh, <laughs> <Center of> directions. <laughs> anyway, so Color Computer Archive. We mentioned this site quite a bit. There's lots of cool stuff out here. Um, images of, of well, images of documentation, images of code. Um, lots of cool things out here. Um, so basically, what they've done is had a little overhaul on their on the the cosmetics of their site. And, uh, you know, it looks yeah. pretty cool. It looks different. Yeah, I, I like the change. It looks good. Yeah, and the drop-down menus are, you know, yeah. kind of save you some steps on yeah. where you want to navigate to. So yeah, I guess it navigates a little more cleanly. Yeah, the navigation is better. Mm -hmm. They also updated the search engine, too. It's supposed to work better. It seems to. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we're out there a lot. And uh, uh, we should just take a moment to mention that uh, if you're not, well, everybody should be aware of ColorComputerArchive.com. Um, 
if, if you're listening to this podcast, you would certainly know what it is. But uh, in case you haven't, you should go and visit it. But uh, the one benefit of that is it's really kind of a community effort. So if you have if you have software that you know isn't there, or uh, you know you can upload it very easily, uh, and yeah, documentation. So if you have documentation, uh, there's a lot of software out there that does not have documentation. So if you're sitting on a manual or something. You know, we can get that scanned and put into a PDF and upload it, and it's available to everybody. So, um, and I certainly am willing to scan anything anybody's got. If you've got, you know, maybe you've got documentation, but you don't have a scanner or the time to scan it, uh, you know, email us here at uh, Coco Crew, and uh, if we can get a hold of it, we'll we'll, we'll get it scanned and we'll get it uploaded. Uh, Neil and I are working on some archiving uh, a bunch of software we got from the Glenside Color Computer Club. Uh, and that's mostly software at this point, but uh, um, we've spent a lot of time uploading software and documentation. So it's you know once it's out there, it's going to be out there forever. So be, you know a lot of this stuff, you look through old magazines and see these neat pieces of software, and they just are gone forever. You know unless somebody out there, mm-hmm. you know, is sitting on it, knows about it. So please yeah. please share it with all of us. Yeah, or even if you have the software and no cocoa, you know we'll uh, we'll archive your discs or tapes. Yeah. We're here to help. Yeah. <laughs> Altruism. All right. Well, very good. Uh, Luke Ken, thanks, Guillaume, for maintaining that site and uh, letting us know you've done some uh, active upgrades to it. Very good. Okay. The next link uh, is, um, well, it's just a little announcement. It's uh, basically a little victory party that he threw for himself. Gregory McGill says, starting assembling my... Uh, REFD502 kit, uh, and this is uh, uh, the floppy drive controller that I guess is being produced by Ian Maverick. Yes, in Australia, and uh, yeah. it's just a re- you know it's just basically a replacement for the, the FD502, and uh, it'll fit in the same case too, uh, I think, right? Yes, same, absolutely, same so size PCB, full replacement. And when you when you order, you, it comes as a kit. And if you order it from Ian, uh, you get your choice of either. Uh, uh, the Tandy ROM or uh, ADOS, he'll throw in there for you if you like too. Excellent. So uh, it's just a you know cool little fun kit that you can assemble and, and so test right away. It's a Western Digital 1773. It's compatible with FT502. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Cool. Now, does he sell these only as kits, or are they? Can you get a pre-built version? Only as kits, as I as I understand. I you know you might be able to talk to him, but I think he's only offering those kits online. That makes the hobby fun, you know, if you can build it. And yeah, gives you some yeah. satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. well, it's cool, you know. A, you know, building the, the, the electronics project, and it's cool to just use the electronics that you built yourself. Right. Um, and you know, some people actually enjoy the the retro aspect of having a floppy drive hooked up and running and buzzing yeah. for them. Or, or yeah. if you don't have a controller at all, yeah. so if you have no you controller, you're not going to yeah. be able to have yeah. that. Yeah, you see them on eBay. Drive. They're not they're not getting cheaper. Yeah, that's right. They are they are kind of an expensive item for those who mm-hmm. need them. Did he? Uh, do you know if he actually uh, laid it out himself and redesigned it, or Ian Maverick? Yeah, or if he just made it. I, I don't know, but my impression okay. is that he designed it himself. Yeah, nice. the whole the, he designed the board all himself. Right, but yeah. made it so that it fits in the five five hundred two case. So. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's the same circuit and everything. Nice. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, kind of his own board and uh, yeah, nice. it's a nice package. Yeah, yeah it looks great. great. Work. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> Very cool. And thanks, Greg, for sharing your your victory party. That's, I like to see that in the community. People cool. say, 
you know, yeah. not everybody has super skills, superhuman abilities or whatever, but you can always come in and have fun and do whatever you're going to do, and whether it's sure. produce a, you know, a new magazine or a yeah. pamphlet for something or, or yeah. uh, you know, write up some documentation on how to do something or, you know, build a project, to build a kit, whatever. That's, that's how you get involved in the community. That's right. right. And sometimes you know, it's how you learn. There. How you learn to do the next thing, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. prepare for it along the way. We should always encourage that type of level. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Definitely not stop on it. <laughs> All right. So, enough said there. Now, moving on. Um, so, this is a, a update from Glenn Hewlett. Uh, this is Glenn showed up around Christmas time to the community, so he was working on... Um, uh, uh, well, he was working on uh, 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 Space Invaders, I guess, and then uh, moved to working on uh, Pac-Man. Uh, Pac-Man, um, and so he posted another new link, and uh, it's part of his Zilog Z80 to Motorola 6809 Transcode. This is part 20, so plenty of stuff to read if you're looking for some blog reading materials. This one is called Sound Ideas, and uh, in this case, sound means as in audio, not just sound as in good. <laughs> but uh, so it goes into some depth on on how to use the Coco DAC and the fast IRQ line on the Coco Three, uh, and uh, to to produce audio, and uh, so it's probably worth a read, especially if you don't already know how that works. Check it out, and uh, you know you will. You will, <laughs> and uh, you know it might explore some different techniques differently than what you might have otherwise done. Uh, and uh, or if you know more than he does, then maybe you could help him out. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, that's a cool project he's working on, uh, porting a Pac-Man arcade. It is cool. All right, this one showed up today. Uh, it's our last news item for the day. This is a Tetra Pack is a Tetris clone for the Tandy Color Computer, and it works on all three of the Cocos. Mike Moore gave me permission to publicly release his games many years back. And uh, while many of them have already been made available, this one was never officially released as far as I know. Uh, this is from Richard Kelly on the uh, Tandy Color Computer Facebook group. Uh, continuing, it's one of Mike Moore's finest achievements. I found the controls difficult to adjust to, but there are interesting ways to exploit how fast the pieces fall down the playfield. The game has many similarities to Drop Pack which did appear on issue 93 of TND software. So, anyway, uh, Tetra Pack looks like a Tetris clone. It's uploaded the disk image to the Facebook group. Uh, I've not had a chance to get into it yet, but uh, it looks pretty cool. If anybody else has uh, software to upload uh, hanging out there, I hope you'll do it. (laughs) So, all right then, very good. Again, it's a little bit of a short news segment this month. We are kind of, we're running a little hot this month. We're busy going places and whatever, so... uh, (laughs) Coco Fest. I hope that'll tide you over through Coco Fest. Yeah. And I hope most of you are coming to Coco Fest with us anyway. We hope to see you there. So, all right. Well, we're going to take another little break, and then we'll be back uh, with our feedback segment. Time for Coco Fest News. 1980, Tandy publicly unveils the TRS-80 color computer. 1983, Tandy officially announces the color computer 2. 
Is this you? Oh my god, I've got 40 pages to print! Tired of waiting on a slow serial-attached printer? End the waiting with Blue Streak Ultima, the ultimate serial-to-parallel adapter. Wow, I'll have this report ready in time for the meeting. Just connect Blue Streak Ultima to your Coco's built-in serial port and connect the other end to any printer with a 36-pin Centronics-compatible parallel printer port. Blue Streak Ultima works with any version Coco. Seven switchable baud rates, 300 to 19.2. Select the desired baud rate with the easy-to-use selector knob. No jumpers, no hassle, just faster printing. Try it on your system for 30 days, risk-free. If you're not totally satisfied with the performance of Blue Streak Ultima, return it for a full refund. Blue Streak Ultima comes with a one-year warranty and costs just $39.95. Blue Streak Ultima, the ultimate serial-to-parallel converter. Feedback. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, now it's time for some feedback. Woohoo! <laughs> Our first feedback item comes from Michael Furman. This is the first time we've heard from Michael. He says, I've always pronounced it Nitros 9 and haven't ever really heard Nitro S9 before. So I know this is referencing uh, one of Mike's ads, and so I'm going to pass this one off to Mike to respond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, these are always these phonetics things. Isn't, <laughs> uh, um, well, yeah, it's interesting, you know, who, who owns this who decides what's right and wrong and you know ultimately it's just in fun because it doesn't matter as long as we know what we're uh, writing I guess I've always pronounced it uh, Nitro OS 9 because it's derivative of OS 9 and when it's written it's written with a capital OS so uh, but you know you could say Nitrous 9 from that as well I've heard it both ways but uh, that's just kind of the way uh, I was raised with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think it doesn't really matter as long as people have some idea what you're talking about, and uh, we probably recognize both of them. Uh, and, uh, but he also went on to write and say that, uh, you know, that, you know, damn it, it's physics. It's not physics. <laughs> yeah. It's not physics. And I agree with him 100%. It's, it's physics. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. uh, so, Brad, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I'll let, you know I'll back I'll defer to Brett on how to pronounce it. I'm not even quite sure what he says though. That's the problem. I think he smiles and says all three. So you can say whatever you want. It's part of fun and being in the IT world. Is yeah. That you can, someone will come up with some. Uh, how about that? We'll have a contest. Write in and tell us the most bizarre way we can pronounce it. <laughs> we have to have Ben Heck for that one. Man. I just hate the yeah. guys that shows you. So I'm going to get out my multimeter. <laughs> and he has several other things that he mispronounces. It's like he's doing it on purpose. Right, he can't right. possibly have heard that real, you know. Yeah, but thanks uh, to Michael Furman for writing in. That was uh, yeah, great uh, to hear from you. Yeah, nice to hear from you, and that, that was all in fun. So uh, good stuff. Yeah, thanks. All right, so our next one comes in from a fan of the show, Jim Gary. 
Uh, Jim, we're fans of you too, so we'll yeah. trade that off. Drink now. <laughs> <laughs> we said Jim. So he actually sent two or three uh, emails in, but uh, um, just cherry picked this one a little bit. He said, oh, and you folks missed a neat little program I did that recreates the classic handheld football game from the late 70s. <laughs> and he includes a, a, a link, to a YouTube link to it. So there you go. If you're interested in playing uh, Mattel football on your Coco or MC10, Jim's got you covered. Check it out. Excellent. That should be fun. All right, now here's another one. L. Curtis Boyle is the final feedback item. It's a shame we didn't have him on to help settle the Nitro S9 debate. Yeah, <laughs> he'd be a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, if he agrees with me. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Colonel. Colonel. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Curtis says Nitrous Nine, but. Who knows? It's uh, whatever. We'll have to um, find out at Coco Fest. Yeah, he's supposed to be there. Yeah. Anyway, it says concerning the document documentary on the arcade game Nibbler. So this is I mentioned this in the last show about the uh, arcade game documentary uh, 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 Man vs. Snake, <laughs> which happened to have scenes uh, filmed at the same location as Coco Fest in uh, the. Uh, the Hair Hair Point Point Center in Lombard, Illinois. Anyway, it says, Concerning the documentary on the arcade game Nibbler, we have a Coco clone of it from Tom Mix Software's cheap division, NovaSoft, (laughs) called Buzzworm. There's another game called Rat Attack from T&D Software that is loosely based on it as well. That's L. Curtis Boyle. So there, so there's the breaking news part. Well, apparently, Tom Mixes uh, had a cheap division called NovaSoft. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. I didn't realize it either. <laughs> yeah, he got all the dirt on these companies. Yeah, now yeah. You know, I've heard of both of them, but didn't know there was a connection. Yeah. yeah. And so there you go. So if you, if you watch uh, Man vs. Snake and you're desperate to play Nibbler and have no better outlet than your Coco, then check out Buzzworm. And there is a link in the show notes. Uh, links back to uh, to uh, mm-hmm. Curtis's games page also for yeah. uh, rat attack thanks as always curtis i don't know if there's any software <clears throat> excuse me there uh, i don't know if there's any software there or not let's check that out quickly let's see if there's a download link buzzworm no software rat attack also no software so you're out of luck Hopefully, uh, some of our group archivists will dig that up, put it on Color Computer Archive, which we probably should also check. I noticed that, could be there. I noticed that the T&D software documentation is out there, but none of the disks. So we may be able to resolve that soon. and uh, We'll have you covered. Yeah, as long as we don't run into any kind of permission issue. But uh, Buzzworm appears to be available at Color Computer Archive. Listed, it's got separate listings under both disks, games, and cassette games. You got two flavors. Rat Attack also available with listings under both disc games and cassette games. So, very good. How exciting, huh? All right. Well, that covers our feedback for this month. Our Cocoa Fest pre-edition. Should also mention, this is our 23rd official episode. The two-year mark. This is the two-year mark for the podcast. We made it. We made it. Thanks for the long run. See you. We're never coming back. Well, it is April 1st. It's April 1st. It's April 1st. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I had to say it. Um, all right. Well, thanks. We're going to take another break here. We'll be back with our host discussion. Uh, and uh, then uh, 
We're going to send some wee facts and uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever else we'll get on with the rest of the show. All right. Thanks for listening. Hi, Candy Weller here again. April is my favorite time of year, and I absolutely love to decorate for Cocoa Fest. Looking for some great ideas to freshen up your home for Cocoa Fest season? Don't want to break the budget? Here are a few helpful hints. First, you can dramatically give your home that cocoa vibe with, ta-da, fresh paint. The cocoa offers all the inspiration you need. I went with Tandy Beige as the base color and used red, green, and blue accents that match the color computer case badge. Be creative. You can do a lot with just these four colors. My home has a lovely stair banister. I purchased 40 feet of rainbow ribbon cable and wrapped the railing to create a warm, colorful style. Finally, if you're like me, one of the highlights of the Cocoa Fest season is a pre-fest party. Impress your guests with simple party favors. I prepare a small gift bag for my guests that includes a 3-ounce compressed gas duster, a giant iced sugar cookie, and a 5.5-inch floppy diskette sleeve, and assorted red, blue, and green sour candies. And you can be very creative with refreshments. Visit our website to get the full recipe for our fabulous nuclear green punch. Sure to please everyone. Until next time, I'm Candy Weller, wishing you the happiest of Cocoa Fest. April 22nd, 23rd in Lombard, Illinois. Become part of the equation. The Call of the Heron. To the Iroquois, seeing a heron before the hunt was an omen of good luck. In Egypt, the heron is honored as the creator of light, as a symbol of prosperity. In China, the heron represents strength, purity, patience, and long life. To the Cocoa Fest attendee, the Heron is the statue at Heron Point Conference Center in Lombard, Illinois, where Cocoa Fest is held. Be a part of a Cocoa Fest tradition. Be sure to touch the Heron at Cocoa Fest in Lombard, Illinois, April 22nd and 23rd. Recording has started. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cocoa Cruisers. Hope you're as excited as the rest of us are. We are coming to you live from uh, somewhere in New Jersey, uh, where we have gathered to participate in the Vintage Computer Festival East 2017. Uh, I'm here with, uh, of course, my, my co-host, uh, Neil Blanchard. Hi, Neil. Hello, everyone. Uh, Mike Rowan. Hi, Mike. Hi, everyone. And we are also joined by a friend of the show, Boise Pete. Hello, hey, Boise. Hey, guys. Good to be here. <laughs> so this is our Cocoa Fest warm-up. Uh, we're about three weeks out from Cocoa Fest. Uh, we were so excited. We just wanted to go ahead and get together, get to get the juices flowing and uh, working hard for uh, uh, having a great Cocoa Fest. Yep. And uh, so now we're here hanging out on Friday night and uh, getting ready. We just had a day of... Uh, classes uh, for the hardcore geeks uh, at uh, VCF East and getting ready for the the, uh, the more uh, showy parts tomorrow and we're just hanging out and, sh- and shooting the bull <laughs> and uh, we thought we'd share some of it with you so uh, gentlemen what do you think Have you having a good day here uh, in the beautiful sunny New Jersey yeah I wish it were sunny it's raining cats and dogs yeah yeah but uh, yeah, having a great time. This is my first time going to VCF East, so yeah, same here. It's good. 
Yeah, it's my third time, uh, not contiguous because I wasn't here last year. But yeah, it's great to be here and hanging out with the guys. It's yeah. awesome. Well, like I said, it's my I guess my third time as well. Uh, it's a, it's a good event. Uh, they added the, the Friday seminars a couple of years ago, and uh, I will say the first uh, t- time I did that it was in a tent in the. Uh, in the parking lot, and, uh, cold. and it was cold and rainy on that day as well. Uh, whereas now they've got the the newer facilities, uh, kind of kind of an upgrade. We were able to sit inside uh, with uh, chairs. A lot of a lot of the folding chairs were actually padded, so it was nice on my mm-hmm. behind. And uh, had nice big rooms and were warm and whatever. Had some good talks. Yes. What uh, what talks did you enjoy today? I really enjoyed the Enigma. The Enigma. Was, yeah, that was, that, was, that was a good seminar. I think that was Very a surprise hit of the summer right yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was worth it just for the day. It, it, was. Was. it really was. So for uh, those of us not familiar, the Enigma was the name of a, a machine used for uh, 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 encrypting uh, messages that the uh, the Nazis used in uh, World War II. And... Uh, uh, you know the allies spent a lot of the allies spent a lot of time and effort trying to crack their code. Eventually, having uh, some success at that. Uh, there's been some movies in recent memory made about that. Um, also interesting because that effort um, put a lot of money into research and development of early computers. We um, had a little side discussion uh, led by Evan Koblenz. Uh, about whether or not uh, Enigma <laughs> is itself a computer, um, and uh, you know, it was about half and half as far as the audience was concerned about whether Enigma is a computer or not. It's not, right? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I don't think there's no calculation not, going on in there. It is not actually a computer <laughs> itself, uh, but it certainly spurred a lot of development of the early computers. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that was a fascinating lecture by a very uh, good presenter. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, if you get the chance to see, what was his name? Tom. 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 I can't remember his last name. <laughs> I'd have to get up the paper, but he's been doing it a long time. Okay, Tom from the uh, EnigmaMuseum.com. <laughs> yes, so yes. That's yeah, it. a full um, museum to it. Very interesting oh, yeah. and, and very relevant. It's amazing. I didn't realize that they all were ordered to be destroyed, uh, both by the Germans and by the Allies at the end of World War II. So they were very difficult to uh, to to uh, come across. And uh, when you do come across them, mostly they're just in pieces, um, and uh, except for maybe some that were secretly spirited off to the the uh, the early Israelis, and not the early early Israelis, but the, the early 1940s Israelis. <laughs> um, not the Israelites. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Not, not back in Egypt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little time tunnel back to the past. Uh, but, um, but yeah, that was a, like I said, a really cool talk. Um, I really enjoyed the... Uh, the session on CRTs, yeah, that was CRTs and CRT repair, yeah. and uh, it wasn't super deep technical, but it was really practical. So, uh, um, yeah. just gave you the major pitfalls to you know avoid uh, to get your CRT to, to work on it safely for one thing. Yeah, even how to yeah discharge them properly right. and uh, and even going through a few schematics, but not getting into the whole you know circuit layer, but just yeah. the most common things to look for and and how you can diagnose the symptoms of you know what's most likely wrong if it's doing this it's probably the horizontal amplifier if it's doing this it's the vertical amplifier you know it really breaks it down into the yep. simple parts so that was enjoyable and, and real practical 
Right, right. I, I did not join you for that one, but uh, I do know from days of uh, arcade collecting that uh, keeping old CRT monitors running can be <laughs> quite the pain. I think I did more as an arcade collector, I did more repairing of CRTs than of anything else. Uh, <laughs> so, but it helped you with that Vectrex. Uh, well, the Vectrex, of course, is the, uh, its own thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so while I was not going to that one, I went to the talk by uh, Bill Hurd of Commodore fame, and uh, he uh, talked a bit about surface mount technology and and mostly in practical means regarding uh, uh, how to um, well how to remove and replace uh, specific parts like capacitors or whatever, um, how to use uh, some flux and paste, this solder paste and whatever. Um, and he went through, he had a pretty extensive collection of tools related, so he had the hot air tools and uh, he had um, uh, some kind of uh, infrared tool, <laughs> like a blast infrared on the part to heat up a, one part in the middle of the board. He had oh, that's a, awesome. And he talked about using a hot plate to bring the, the whole board up to a, a kind of a, a, a higher median temperature so that when you heat up the specific part you're not applying a shock to that area yeah. uh, and <laughs> so um, so that was kind of interesting and it's it's a, kind of amazing how simple some of that stuff can look um, I'm still not convinced <laughs> that it is simple <laughs> um, from the times that I have had to mess with surface mount I've been pretty limited uh, and it's kind of a mixed bag or how well they work or not. But there's obviously we have people in the community who swear by surface mount technology. You got Mark, uh, he's doing a lot. Mark Marlett, Ed Snyder, uh, Jim Brain. I think they all are devoted to surface mount at this point. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm still kind of old school from the stuff I designed. But uh, <laughs> at some point I won't be able to find the parts I need. I'll have to move on myself. But uh, Through hole, baby. Yeah, yeah that's it. Well, you know, I do like the through hole partly just because it, it's period correct or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. sure. And because it also keeps you using period correct parts, right, so long as you can find them. Yeah. Um, and it's not 100%, but it feels closer at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, well, if anyway. the parts are available back then. Yeah, it's kind of. Right. So, anyway, then I, I guess we at one point we broke for lunch. You got some pizza they brought in and. Uh, yeah, sort of warm pizza. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad. <laughs> no, it was good. It was, and it was certainly better than having to go out in the rain. Yes, yeah, definitely. Because you're not really close to any kind of restaurants or anything there at the museum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we found uh, a, a place with some comfy couches to sit, and we kind of dominated <laughs> the couches and sat around and talked about cocoa stuff. That's and, right. Warming up for the cocoa fest. Yeah, some cocoa so gossip. Get, getting excited. We're not share with you. That's, right. <laughs> That's going to be awesome this year. <laughs> Forward to it. Our yeah. New Year's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so three weeks away, right? Three weeks. Three weeks at this point. Yeah. yeah. We already have our schedule done. <laughs> Hopefully, we won't have to modify that any. Uh, thanks to uh, somebody. Straight. <laughs> um, so hopefully that's going to work out. I, I have no idea at this point, but hopefully we're getting back on track with how many vendors we're going to have and that sort of thing. So I don't know, what do you think? What do you think is coming for Cocoa Fest? It's going to be cool. You guys have seen the schedules. There's some kind of machine learning talk that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I am looking forward to that. Finding the rainbow. Yeah. yeah. I've got a lot of work to do between now and then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that ought to be interesting. It's not a software 
project per se for the cocoa, but it's more of an informational talk mm -hmm. that I hope will be able to be enjoyed by the people that subscribe to the rainbow and glean some insights. We'll see how it goes. And so the rainbow is a big part of the cocoa. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the big ones, yeah. yeah. So you're collecting statistics on articles and stuff? Right. Uh, right now, and I haven't really done it yet because I've got some other work in the queue uh, for the class, but uh, it's a process of taking, if you remember the rainbow, <clears throat> in the middle part of the year, in July every year, there was an index that was published from the previous year. It was a guy named Leslie Foster. He would compile that index. Well, that index has the name of every author for every article from the previous 12 issues, the titles of the articles, uh, what the categories were. So I'm trying to collect some statistical information about that. And I have to get enough different pieces of information. The article name, the author name, the last name, the sex of the author, uh, where the author was from, and kind of see if we can find some interesting insights to some patterns that might... Uh, Tell us something about. Yeah, it's great. Uh, well, so other than the raw statistics, what sort of things do you think might might show? Well, you might you might, for instance, uh, an easy one would be how many and what was the percentage of women writers versus men? That's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, out of the women writers, where were they at? What what, what countries and what states? Where were the men at? Uh, what categories did uh, this person write the most about? If you want to mine a specific author, or. Uh, you know, where the categories, let's say in basic programming, came mostly from the northeastern part of the United States, or whatever the case may be. So you're trying to find these correlations between all these different categories uh, of data and see if there's anything in there that's interesting. It might just be circumstantial or not really uh, something that is of great, great interest, but there might be some insights there. So it's just kind of a, you know, a statistical run-through of the life of the rainbow. The challenge is uh, the rainbow's 13 years of issues the OCR available for the rainbow is not that good, so there's a lot of correction that I've been having to do, like in the article names and reformatting, so to kind of get it into the tool that I'm using to do the mining. Mm -hmm. So, but also the work that I'm doing there is going to be going toward an essay that I'm writing for the class. So it's kind of trying to do a two for here. <laughs> cool, cool. So are there other tools that you feed your raw statistics to that would suggest uh, some of those other correlations? Yeah, there's a tool called RapidMiner that I've been playing around with. It's a data mining tool. It runs on OS, uh, Mac OS and Linux and uh, Windows. And uh, I've got a student license. I've been playing around with it. There's all sorts of different data mining algorithms that you can apply to it. It's classification algorithms. Uh, Associate, association analysis algorithms, uh, you know, stuff like that, mm -hmm. and just kind of see what we can come up with. So that ought to be fun, but yeah, besides that, uh, you're doing a seminar? Yeah, I want to do a talk uh, about, um, you know, the, um, the PCB design that I've been working on that uh, combines um, the, the audio chip that's the same as what was used in the Tandy 1000, the, the Texas Instruments, uh, SN76489AN. <laughs> um, that combines that with um, the bank-switched ROM technology that was described by Greg Zumwalt in, I think, the June of 91 issue of the Rainbow. Uh, I just call it an article called Breaking the 32K the, the Barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so basically... Basically copied the schematic from that for his, for that portion, and mm -hmm. then took this, the the uh, my own schematic for the sound card that I've been working on that I did the demo of on YouTube earlier in the year, and have combined them um, and adjusted it a little bit so that 
uh, you know, they both are using the the uh, SCS decoding, <laughs> so uh, one of them has to, to move off to the to be FF41 instead. So I'm going to keep FF40 for the the bank switching, and then FF41 for the audio uh, port. And uh, it only uses the one port for audio, just a one byte. Um, the bytes that you write for the for that chip actually include in in the byte not only the uh, the, the 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 value, shall you say, but also the the register that you're addressing. It's all encoded into one byte or two bytes or whatever. But it's it's clever <laughs> the way they've done it. But anyway, you just pump bytes to it. It only needs one byte's worth of addressability for the sound chip. Um, so I don't know how much of a demo I'll have. Uh, I, I did get uh, email yesterday that uh, um, my boards are being sent uh, from from the manufacturer. It's a purple manufacturer. <laughs> Anybody knows much about PCV manufacturing in the hobby world will know which one the purple one is. Um, um, I actually sent them off to two different board producers. Uh, one uh, that's... Uh, I think it'll be a little cheaper, but it takes a little longer to ship. So I sent them both to, to both places to make sure I'd get at least uh, some of my prototypes in. And hopefully I'll be able to build one up uh, over the next couple of weeks. And I uh, should have all the parts. Um, I went on eBay a couple of weeks ago and uh, picked out the various parts and was careful about who the suppliers are. Because as I think we all have seen, uh, if, you, if you pick the ultra cheap parts from China, yeah. even if they work out as good parts... They sometimes take way too long to get here. Whereas yeah. I found, uh, uh, you know, of course I live in North Carolina. I found uh, someone, uh, the vendors in uh, Whitfield, Virginia. It's not really that far away from me, and he seems to be a very conscientious guy. And in fact, I I ordered like you know five different orders for the different parts, and the guy, you know, all the same day. And the guy was nice enough to recognize that, and uh, he packed them off to me, and then sent me a. Uh, uh, a refund for about ten bucks worth of shipping, um, and uh, and then they arrived like two days later, whatever. Can't so, beat that. That's great. So um, uh, anyway, so hopefully I'll be be able to at least put a card together. I still have my original prototype, so if nothing else, hopefully I'll be able to play that. Um, so yeah, so that would be cool. Uh, definitely looking forward to to that. Have you guys reviewed the schedule? Do you see anything coming? Uh, any other talks that you think will be interesting? I've looked at it. I can't think of it off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you the I'm one. Looking, you a bunch of them. The one that I'm most interested in hearing from a technical perspective. Well, okay, there's two. But the one that I'm most interested in hearing from a technical perspective is from Evan Wright. And he's got this uh, authoring tool for text adventures um, that uh, he's uh, got a you you write stuff in XML, you know, which is a modern markup style language. Looks a lot like what you would do for web authoring. And he's got a tool he's working on that'll turn that into a Cocoa game. Nice. Awesome! I'm uh, eager to hear about that. Yeah, very interesting. And of course. Um, Beyond that, of course, I'm very eager to hear from Rick Adams, who is joining us yes. uh, as our keynote speaker. Um, and I hope I'm not sp spilling the beans too much, but Rick actually has been apparently working on rebuilding some of his Cocoa uh, coding skills. 
and uh, has been working on uh, developing some game software. Uh, well, who knows? Uh, hopefully, he'll have an announcement of some sort to make. That'd be really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> Shanghai too. Yeah, well, <laughs> could be cool. Uh, you know, Temple of Ram now or something. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what about uh, maybe we have to cut this part? But uh, isn't he working on his unreleased game? Was it bomb, bomb, bomb threat? Bomb, bomb threat. threat. Yeah. 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 So that's. We're uh, hoping that that might show up. We'll have to see. Make an appearance. Um, I, don't, I doubt if he'll have much to show on that in that short a time period, but uh, it seems to be something that he's thinking about. Yeah. So that'd be really cool. Um, of course, we're going to have other talks. I, I hate to go and mention certain talks and then not others, but you know we will have a. Oh. A review of the, the Coco VGA project by Brendan Donahue. I'm looking forward yeah, to that That'll one. be good. Yeah, yeah. that's going to have a... It was cool to see it last year, so yeah. Yeah. see how far it's come. Uh, you're going to have a, a talk about Fusix development from, from Brett Gordon, mm -hmm. uh, probably centering the, on launch of the networking work that he's been doing uh, with the, the Coco Dick project from, from Jim Brain. Yes. We're supposed to have two separate talks from John Strong. Um, Do we know the topics yet? <laughs> The one is he's going to talk about some of his tools that he used. If you've watched any of his interviews or all of his interviews or whatever with Steve Strobridge, at some point you probably have heard him talk about the tool set that he uses where he's got uh, tile loaders and, and that sort of thing. I, I think he's expecting to, to uh, overview some of those mm -hmm. uh, at Cocoa Fest. And then he wanted a second talk that's uh, he's titled something like The Future of Cocoa Gaming or whatever. I'm not sure where that's going to be. I might yeah. have to... Uh, be judicious about uh, <laughs> the commentary there, but uh, you know I know John's worked some on some different controllers stuff. Um, I know he's been trying to work uh, with Al Huffman some on adding audio hardware to Coco stuff for games. Of course, there's a certain overlap between that and what I've been doing, um, and even with the controller stuff, there's a certain overlap. So. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, should be interesting. It's always good to have input from multiple individuals, yeah. right? Yeah. See sure. how that shows. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, of course, my favorite time to the fest, or one of my favorite times, is a run, right? Well, touching the hair. No, I have touching the <laughs> Touch the hair. That comes Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, I've already seen you guys now. We're here. So I, I, I'm going to kind of have that edge taken off of seeing you again in three weeks because, you know, I've already seen sure. you. Sure. Getting there, arriving, right? The excitement, flying in, taking an Uber or getting a rental car, getting into the parking lot, mm -hmm. unpacking, going into the uh, to the lobby there, you know, randomly bumping into somebody. And then, of course, we all do our own separate things on Friday night. Mm -hmm. We have different groups that do our dinners. That's a fun time. And then the Saturday night is also another thing that I'm looking forward to as well. Now, did you do the dinner stuff last year? Last Saturday or last? No, Saturday but I, last I, year? I, yeah. I want to do it this this year. I'm doing it this year try. too because yeah, the, the barbecue is supposed to be really good. It, yeah. it was Nobody good. died last year, so I'm ready. I'm no, <laughs> I really enjoyed it last year. I hope you will yeah. too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was good. The food, like I said, the food was good. I, I was. actually thought the food yeah. was really enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, but just not having to leave. Yeah, which kind of its own enjoyment. You know? Yeah, it doesn't take any of the fest time away. Right. Yeah, and that's good. You're you're stationed there, but you know, ever since we had the fest back in Elgin, and we go well, I went one time to Alexander's. I guess I was just ruined <laughs> at that point. 
And yeah. now I'm finally feeling safe again to come back into the, into the food fold. That's right. Uh, the ratings were yeah. good, so we're yeah. in this year. Yeah. 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 Took a little bit of uh-huh. encouragement, but I'll be there. But yeah, it gives you a chance to talk to people maybe you didn't get to see because you were watching your table or whatever during the Cocoa Fest. So. Well, and you know, you kind of loosen up, get ready for the uh, the trivia contest. Cocoa Jeopardy. Cocoa Jeopardy this year. It's going to be good. And the other thing I'm looking forward to is the auction. Can't forget that. Yeah, that, yeah. that's that that's comes a fun on time. both days, right? Yeah, yeah we have two yeah. auctions, you know. And we have a new auction here this year, right? Well, we're we supposed do. to have a split auction between Tony and uh, uh, Jason, Jason Timmons. Jason Timmons. <laughs> um, and uh, so Jason had uh, been coming kind of just as a, a support the, the 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 event thing for yeah. years and he noted he observed our our auction and thought that was a cool thing of course jason's one of the prime movers on vcf midwest yeah. vcf midwest has for the past couple of years i guess has done an auction i was there this past year and thought it was pretty successful for them and so i don't know if this is just uh you know come back and and uh, as a thank you or just because he wants to be part of the fest or, or whatever, but uh, he's. Uh, I think he heard that Tony was looking for some assistance, and yeah. so he decided to come back and uh, offer his. So we'll have to see how that goes with two auctioneers. I know uh, Tony expressed some level of interest in, in that he feel will feel better about bidding on things himself. Yeah, yeah he that never was gets the opportunity to do that. Actually, that's right. Great. Well, he's occasionally, I think broken face or whatever and taking so I'm bidding on this myself or whatever yeah. um, but uh, you know it's anyway it's a little easier for that to happen I think and, yeah. and a little more yeah. above board or whatever so if you have a second sure. person doing it and you know if nothing else some of this old retro gear gets kind of heavy yeah. <laughs> and you want people wanting to hold it up and whatever and yeah. Tony's He's not super tall anyway, so if he has to hold it up, he has to hold it up way above his head. <laughs> yeah. It gets a little strenuous, I think. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think the auction will be fun. We've got them scheduled. Of course, we've got so we've got two things kind of going um, um, uh, on on Saturday. Uh, we're going to have a an award ceremony just before the auction. They want to. They handed out a few trophies last year. I think maybe that was um, not a hundred percent planned uh, or whatever. One way or another, I think they're putting more planning into it this year than they did last year. So we'll see how that turns out. I have no idea who's getting trophies or what they're for or anything. Yeah. But that's supposed to happen before the auction this year. Um, and then on Sunday, well, the auction comes after lunch. Um, but lunch is, uh, is extended while we have a, a working meeting, shall we say. So we'll have an actual Glenside meeting, which we've done quite often, I think, uh, at the Cocoa Fest to have a Glenside meeting and, and have a combination of announcements and organizational things and whatever. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know if it's, it used to be if you showed up at Cocoa Fest, you were a Glenside member. <laughs> <laughs> or at least if you paid to get in, but I don't know if it's still quite that way or not, but whatever. Most of us are, of course, from Glenside members, so, um, you know, show, we'll have some discussion of, you know, usually there's things to talk about, like, well, should we continue to have the event next year at all, A, and then B, should we have it at this location or a different location? Uh, if we have it, uh, should we have it at the same time of year or not? Uh, 
you know, all those kind of stories. You know, back in the day when I was going to Cocoa Fests in the 90s, they, that was a big part of the Cocoa Fest, especially when it was in Elgin, was having that Glenside meeting. Mm -hmm. They've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> so what are some of the favorite uh, booths that you guys are going to visit at Cocoa Fest? <laughs> Well, there's always Chris Hawks booth because you know it's yeah. usually the same as the. <laughs> <laughs> it's consistent. <laughs> it's consistent. It's the only one with the West Case on it. That's right. That's true. Yeah, that's it right. Probably is. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, there's, there's uh, uh, Brian uh, shoe rings with the, the music stuff. The stones. shoe. The shoe. Yeah. yeah. Carl. Carl Sefkick. Carl Sefkick's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Carol's, yeah. Carl's got what I call the potpourri. Uh, well, you yeah. never know yeah. what he's going to bring. Yeah, you never yeah, know. It's it wild smell funny. No. The wild cord booth, right? It's always the something cord. different. Quite <laughs> often, no cocoa yeah. content per se, other than Carl himself. Mm -hmm. um, but he has an interesting set of materials. It might be uh, yeah. you know, books on wildlife or... Uh, you know, t-shirts, t-shirts, or you know, mm -hmm. sign uh, photo shots of some famous actress, mm -hmm. Jerry Ryan, Jerry Ryan. <laughs> or sometimes, he's, uh, I mean, last year Carl had his uh, uh, picture book from going to the NASCAR, yeah, day, you know, where he got to run his car around yeah. the track and everything. It's kind of interesting. So it's always interesting to stop yeah. and talk to Carl. Absolutely. He usually has some hybrid cars too. I think uh, some pamphlets on them. I know he was one of the first people I knew who bought a hybrid car back in. Yeah, you know, yeah the, the, turn, the turn of the century or whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so he's an early adopter in that sense. Um, yeah. uh, I, I see Carl as the, in the Coco community as one of the you know like one of the old guys that sit on the on the front porch of the uh, country store, right? That just gives you all the the, the news and the views of different perspectives. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely one of the people who shows up for the people, right? That's right. He's not yeah. uh, he's not pushing any agenda or any no whatever. No. He just shows up. It's like a family reunion or something, and and, and, uh, and he often bids at the auction. He does. he does. He does. Yeah, yeah. We, we love you, Carl. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Bill Estel, he's always there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. he makes a big. That's a trick. Yeah, yeah so where's he coming from? From Alberta. Alberta, Canada. Uh, it's yeah. a far drive. That's like 24 yeah. hour drive. I think. It, it is crazy. a huge drive. And he does it straight. Right. He just. I wish he wouldn't like... do that. That makes me scared. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> um, find, a, find a, some yeah. way, way station along the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we need you to support LW Tools for the next decade. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, but, Glen Glenside has their table too, where they usually, over the last couple of years, they've had like software and stuff for sale and you know a lot of times you know they'll manage to find something that's you know and i don't know where they pull it from sometimes it's a new donation sometimes somebody pulls something out of their storage shed or whatever yeah a lot of times there's the unique thing is there from glenside and uh, yeah. i don't know if i should say it out loud a lot of times if you make an offer on it they'll sell it to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true so, yeah, that's a part we had it uh, yeah might need to cut any, that one out basically yeah any reasonable offer so um, it's a good deal and that's why and you can only get that at coco fest yeah, yeah, they're not going to sell that to you over the phone or over nope. email you no. got to be there at coco fest, at coco fest. so right. that's another you know that's, that's another reason to come. it's fest. the same with the auction i guess i should bring that up too there's been some more buzz this has come up more than once about trying to do like internet at the yeah, no, auction and no. the answer is going to be no, no it's too difficult we actually sampled someone doing this one year and it slowed down the auction yeah. so much it caused a lot of bad feelings, feelings. 
You know, yeah, was it the proxy bid they were doing? Uh, yeah, right. And they were trying to get interactive and wait yeah, for a response, and you know, it just it was just no good. And uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we highly uh, reject that. Right, <laughs> we reject that with prejudice. However, if you know someone going to the Cocoa Fest that's willing to bid on something for you, then that's fine. As long as you give them your full proxy, you know, right? Yes, you have a proxy there. That's fine. But we can't do the interactive thing on the no. web. We just don't have the bandwidth there at the facility. No, for and you, you just need to be there. What is your famous yeah. saying? About being at Cocoa Fest? That's right. You, you, right. If, if you love the cocoa and, and you're within six hours, six hours of Chicago, you have a moral imperative to, to be there. Why aren't you there? Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. It's it's the center of the cocoa universe. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, has this been mentioned before? I think we were mentioning Glenside's Table. I, I know um, this year apparently they've got... Uh, Someone who's reached out to them. This is not unusual. Someone will reach out and say, "Oh, we had this family member that was a cocoa person or whatever in the past, and you know, could you take care of you know that we know they don't want it to go to the landfill, but we don't know what to do with it. Could you take care of it?" I'm not sure that's exactly the case here, but somehow they've been contacted. In this case, it's with a couple of Tandy Model 2000s, yeah. which is yeah. um, a PC-ish. It's not quite a PC, it's from that era of not quite compatible PCs. Uh, I believe it was essentially a PC compatible with an 8186 processor, maybe the only one that ever existed. It's like 95% uh, compatible. Yeah, so it's compatible-ish. <laughs> I think maybe there, there was probably some sort of software that you could run that would make it a little more compatible or something. I don't know. They were pretty cool in some no. sense back in their time. Uh, I know in the U.S. that they used the number of these Tandy 2000s as the back end machine in the stores mm, that's cool. for running the point of sale terminals and for doing the daily reports and stuff. I think you got backwards though. I think it's the rest of the rest of the PC world was not compatible with, with the 2000. Tandy 2000. <laughs> because I mean, really, when the 2000 came out, it had a lot of cutting edge stuff built into it that oh, yeah. the other yeah. PCs didn't have. Uh, you know, like the the graphics were kind of like the top when it came out. It blew away anything that was on the IBM PC at the time. Yeah. That was an expensive machine too, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah, and it was it was very capable so and had, had a lot of cutting edge technology in it. And so again, maybe I should not say this or ask Neil to cut it out, but <laughs> uh, I, I understand there are going to be uh, some possibility, at least that there be tasks to find a home for these machines. So if that sounds interesting to you, come and show up at Cocoa Fest and bring your checkbook. Well, not your checkbook. We only want cash. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that's the intention is they yeah, want us yeah. to sell it to a good home and uh, right. it's like really pristine condition, we've been told. Yeah, belong um, to a priest? Yes, belong to a priest. taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it might even be in the original boxes from what I understand. It sounded like a very cherry yeah. kind of system. Yeah. Like I'll that. tell you, of all those TNDs, I think if I had one, that's the one I'd go for is the yeah. 2000. It's certainly uh, the most interesting in a sense, right? It's the most unique. Even the Tandy 1000s, you know, they're PC Junior clones or whatever, and there were a lot of them. I don't think there are a ton of the 2000s. No. no. And they're kind of a unique beast on their own. Let's say Tandy tried to kind of go off and innovate, and in a sense they did, but, you know, if you if you think you're a leader and you look behind you and there's nobody there, you're not. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so Tandy went, thought they were leading and looked behind and nobody was following. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, it's an interesting little artifact of PC computing history or whatever. That might be a cool thing. Not a cocoa, but still kind of in That's the right. wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, Cocoa Fest is coming. 
we got some cool people. I'm sure we left out a bunch of people. Nobody mentioned Richard Chrislip. Uh, nobody mentioned, uh, I guess we mentioned Chris Hawks. Uh, but uh, who else did we leave out? Alan Huffman. Jim O'Keefe. Jim O'Keefe. Can't forget Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, more, more like the same. More, more like There's a lot of people who left out. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think it'll be a cool event. I'm sure it'll be a cool event. Uh, it's always nice to see uh, friends, and you know, maybe there's a couple of circles of friends. We're still happy to see all of them, and <laughs> <laughs> or happy to see us. <laughs> yeah, happy they get a chance to see us. Um, yeah. Uh, Right, Steve Sturbridge is coming Steve this year yeah, as well. Steve. That should be and, uh, the original game. He's, he's got the special uh, pop star that's right. pilot stuff he's that's going to be there this year. He's nice. supposed to have the package uh, where he can make uh, 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 Nick Marentis' game available, and he's going to have the T-shirt with the Nick's artwork on it. Matching shirt. So that should be cool. Yeah. So I know Steve's, uh, you know, he went to a lot of trouble to stream stuff last year. Uh, I think he kind of feels like he kind of missed some stuff. I think he still wants to offer the streaming service as best he can, but uh, he may do it a little differently to give himself a little more freedom this year. Yeah, yeah so he can um, experience it for himself. Yeah. Exactly. He was tied to that camera. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I don't know how well that'll work out on the other end of the camera, but since I'll be there live, I'll, I'll still enjoy myself and hopefully enjoy <laughs> Steve even more, right? Yeah. So that'll be cool. So I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, unless there's some time on the schedule-ish, a little bit, uh, for birds of a feather kind of stuff. Speaking of Steve Stroh, I mean, he uh, there's not a specific slot for a media talk or whatever, but he said he was open to it. So maybe uh, get him and maybe Curtis Boyle and some of us together at some point, yeah. maybe during the, the 8 to midnight on Saturday, maybe we get together and just talk a bit about... Yeah. You know, media stuff in yeah. the retro computing world, and yeah. uh, that might be a cool event to do. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, it was we're all kind of tied in. Yeah. And of course, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Actually, this time I'm staying overnight Sunday night. I usually fly out oh, cool. uh, late. Oh, that's good. You Sunday can join night, us. Or as late as I can, but uh, yeah, in this this case I'll be uh, staying over, so I'll be able to join you guys with a... And that's the last uh, event on the schedule is a Sunday Dinner TBD. (laughs) So you got to figure out where you want to go for dinner with your buddies on Sunday night, but that is an advisable thing. You know, it's, uh, you know, you're coming, you're coming to hang out, it's vacation, you're coming to be with people, take the extra day for travel, stay Sunday night, spend a little extra time, visit with your friends, have dinner. It's not like there's a shortage of restaurants in the Chicago area. You know, you can find some place to eat. Tons of them. (laughs) And uh, hang out. Like I said, you can still travel on Monday. (laughs) I think it's going to be a great fest. I think a a lot of the people that we hadn't seen in a long time and some new people are coming again this year. And we really want to see some new faces there this year. Uh, and keep this thing on the upswing growing. I've been, it's been, been pretty been exciting. Very pleased with the number of first timers last year that I hear are going to be second timers this year. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good sign. Uh, and I've heard of, I think I've heard of a few people that are planning to be first timers this year that you know, of course, weren't there last year. So I'm, I'm really hopeful. Um, I figured out exactly what our attendance number last was. Uh, it was in the 70s, I think, low 70s. 
Uh, was it? I think someone said 80. Yeah, yeah. Was it 80? Yeah, 80. Okay. Wow. It's what the club ever yeah. uh, mm -hmm. And so yeah, I'd still like to see us hit 100. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a stretch, but it'd be yeah. nice. But keep it healthier because uh, I think in the past it's been as low as 40. It did yeah, get so, for, uh, It was getting pretty thin. It's so, climbing now. Yeah, it's climbing now, and let's let's keep it up. So I'd love to see that. I'd love to see. I'd love to see them have to call the fire marshals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, if you if this is your first time coming to the Cocoa Fest, your best option on Friday night, if you're coming in on Friday night, is go to the lobby in the evening. You know, about six p.m. Even earlier than that, really. But you come out by six or seven p.m. There's a huge buzz going in the lobby, and it's full of of Cocoa people talking about Cocoa stuff. And it's really easy to jump in on a conversation, introduce yourself, and yeah. and uh, you'll get introduced around to people. So yeah. I've said it before, but you know, again, let's be honest: you will have no trouble telling who the coach. <laughs> yeah. You certainly won't. Yeah, and you know, after the usually the everybody goes on their own little Friday night dinner thing when they come back. Yeah, nine thirty, ten o'clock Friday night into even midnight. There's a lot of activity going on later. Yeah, the, the yeah. it's just a blast. I mean, there's you have some experience even, that you need to. Yeah. even hang out to 2 a.m. Some people. Oh yeah, wasn't someone was passing out the bourbon on uh, Friday night? <laughs> yeah, <last Yeah>. year. <laughs> bourbon and uh, beer. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's not for everyone, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, let's be honest, it's not really a child event anyway. So I guess a little <laughs> bourbon's not so bad. No. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody lost control. Yeah. <laughs> It's all in good fun. No police were involved. <laughs> yeah, not this time. All right. <laughs> Come to Coca Fest, stay for the uh, municipal facilities. <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, what do you think? Any more to talk? Any discuss? Any other things to discuss? I hope we've encouraged you to come to Coca so. Fest. You know, this, uh, this is our last shot this year. This we really won't have any other time to talk to you except to come back in uh, in May and tell you about how awesome it was. And what you and, missed uh, out on. <laughs> so, you know, if you're still on the fence at all, I'm telling you, you need to, to pack your bags, <laughs> make your <laughs> reservation. And just book go. Your flights, go. Book your flights or gas yeah. your car. You're not getting any younger. Saddle your horse. <laughs> but you can't you still can get more retro. Huh? That's right. You can, you can <laughs> be retro forever. <laughs> awesome. That's right. Alright, well, see you at Cocoa Fest. If I haven't already met you, come up, say hi John, my name is, and I'll be happy to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that goes for the rest of my my co host and, and Boise, whatever he is. Yeah. <laughs> A friend of the show. Friend of the show. Of the show. So all right, well, I think that probably is a wrap on this one, but uh, again, get, get there to Coco Fest, and when I pull on my right ear, you can stop bidding because I want it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the signal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks. Talk to you later. Introducing Graphicom, the greatest graphics program to ever be written for the Coco. All you need is a 64K Coco or Coco 2 with floppy disk drive. I don't want to have to be a computer scientist in order to um, draw a circle. I want it to be simple, direct. You control Graphicom with two joysticks or use one joystick and a koala pad. You can zoom in for detail work. You can undo your last mistake. Featuring rubber band graphics to select, move, and copy. So you can pick up a hunk of your picture, reposition it, and move it all over the screen. Create stamps and select from a wide palette of colors. Create animations, reverse video, 
rotate, and more. It's like love at first sight. Save your graphic creations to diskette. Send and receive images over a modem right for inside Graphicon. I have to say it was quite comfortable. And Graphicon can print images to more than 20 printers. Available at fine software retailers everywhere for only $29.95. Graphicon, the leader in color computer graphics. Ideas can be life-changing. Sometimes all you need to open the door is just one more good idea. CocoFest is a playground of ideas where individuals can meet face-to-face, not only to celebrate the past, but to exchange ideas about creating the future. You don't have to be a vendor. You aren't required to be an engineer or programmer. What CocoFest needs most is you, the individual. Your story, your experience, your passion. Join us at CocoFest in Lombard, Illinois, April 22nd and 23rd, 2017. CocoFest, become part of the equation. Hello all, this is John Linville. Um, This would normally be the tech segment of our podcast, Um, but CocoFest is getting close. And I've got, uh, well, I've got plenty of stuff, <laughs> plenty of irons in the fire with regard to technical stuff in CocoFest. And really, we just wanted to talk uh, and relax a bit. And so I thought we'd cover a technical-ish topic that I think will be entertaining as part of the lead-up to CocoFest. And will have some relevance to the discussions that are at least scheduled to happen uh, at CocoFest. So, uh Instead of having a true tech talk, we're going to talk about something kind of related. We're going to talk about what it means to write a game. Now, some of you are thinking, well, of course, that's going to be technical, right? Well, I'm going to avoid uh, some of the more technical aspects of writing a game. Um, probably not going to talk much about game loops or or uh, uh, synchronizing with VSync and that sort of stuff. Um what I wanted to do is emphasize the difference between designing a game and actually coding a game. And so these are two different things. So, you know, designing the game is actually, you know, establishing the rules, figuring out the objectives. There's uh, going to be a certain amount of the art that goes into the displays and that sort of stuff that's part of the design. Whereas coding the game, uh, in the purest sense, you could have a, a totally predefined game, and coding could just simply be translating, um, you know, those rules and those objectives into the stuff that appears on screen. Uh, these are t- definitely two different uh, fields of, of excellence <laughs> or expertise. Uh, in fact, you'll see if you look at the job boards for game companies. You'll see there are two distinct uh, sets of jobs. Well, probably more than two, but certainly that design is is d- distinct from the actual coding jobs. So maybe we could delve back into that. So let's get a, a dictionary definition of a game as a, as a noun. A form of play or sport, especially a competitive one, played according to rules and decided by skill, strength, or luck. And so that's a pretty good definition. Like I said, usually there's an objective that you're pursuing according to those rules. Uh, something like putting a ball into a, a basket or um, running around the bases or something like that. 
Um, in computer games, uh, it's going to be a, maybe a little less apparent, or maybe it's more apparent. The computer enforces the rules for you. Uh, but you're going to be trying to shoot at the aliens and destroy them before they reach the ground, or something like that. Um, but So that's sort of the point. You're going to have to have some rules, um, and generally you're going to have some sort of basic game mechanic. And so when I say that, the, the mechanic's going to be different. So something like Pong, you know, the basic mechanic is the ball bouncing around uh, between the two paddles, or if it's breakout uh, between your paddle and the bricks and the wall you're trying to break out. Uh, and far fall, the game mechanic is, is that you're falling uh, from the top of the screen to the bottom, and you land on platforms, the platforms carry you back towards the top of the screen. So when you're trying to design a game, you want to find a fun game mechanic. I mean, in platform games, you know, the, the basic mechanic is climbing ladders and jumping between platforms and that sort of thing. But yeah, that's the, the main point is, is, you know, coding it is really not that hard. In fact, uh, there's a number of products that exist on various platforms that allow game designers who don't know that much about coding or, or who are minimally competent in coding um, and enabling them to string together uh, playable games based on their own design of the platforms or, or whatever uh, and rather little code uh, from the person designing the game. Um, so, uh, the real point of, of the game, of course, is you want to design a game that's going to be fun. Um, fun, of course, is an elusive factor, um, and not just any game uh, is going to have fun. Not just because you put in really great code uh, or whatever, that doesn't make the game fun just because it was hard to code or, or intricate or whatever. Um, you know, ultimately, if you're, you know, playing cards or, or I don't know, hunting for mines or, or whatever. It's it's just whatever it is. It, it by itself, it's not really any fun. It just depends on, you know, how the rest of the game is presented and if you've managed to find a way to do so. Now, I mean, there could be some coding aspects involved there. You can code explosions that uh, you know uh, are fun to watch, or um, coding can you know good coding can help speed up certain aspects of the game or, or whatever. But fundamentally, the game itself has to be designed and, and has to be fun. Um, so, uh, like I said, you have a good game mechanic. Well, so what What other things go in? Well, I mean, sometimes games are built around um, certain kinds of hardware. For example, uh, you know, Arkanoid on the NES came with a special <laughs> controller, basically a paddle controller. Uh, that was kind of unique on the NES since they had the, the joypads. Uh, so uh, the Arkanoid, uh, you could get the paddle controller. I, I think they came with it, or maybe there were special versions. I'm not an NES scholar, but um, in some cases, you might have a game built around custom hardware. I kind of experimented with that uh, in the past with a, a spinner controller. Um, the game that came out of that ultimately <laughs> had nothing to do with the spinner. In fact, got revamped to not even use the spinner, and now it's called. Uh, Follow Coco, which is basically a Simon clone. You know, the, having custom hardware doesn't make a game fun. So if you have a seven-button joystick or 
<laughs> or or a power glove or I mean that's a pretty good example there how many power glove games are any fun right um, you know you have to put some thought into the game itself and again that's that's a, a different that's a human engineering kind of thing to figure out what's fun so where do you start then say you're new to uh, programming so you want to write a game it's kind of hard to get started right you know you gotta especially if you have to learn the programming so one thing that's um, well, it certainly happens, and in some ways it's advisable. You can copy a game, right? Uh, and again, my follow Coco is basically just a copy of Simon. Um, you look at, um, well, like Bomb Squad is essentially a copy of, of Minesweeper. You know, these are things you can do. Uh, the the gameplay is already established. You have fans of the gameplay already who will like your game if, it, if you follow the formula closely enough. You know, and it's it's a fine thing to do. And it's a pretty good way to build some coding skills and and that sort of thing if you if you want to start with thing. Um, that's something I did too when I wanted to learn some more about programming the Apple II. I took Farfall, which I had already implemented on the Coco, and I implemented a version on on the Apple II. So I didn't have to spend any time in, um, inventing a new game. I basically just took the existing game Farfall and <laughs> implemented it in sixty five hundred two assembly language on the Apple II. Um, it was an easy way to to move around, and it kind of did the same thing with Xmas Rush. I first implemented it on the Coco, and then I wanted to uh, learn more about the MC10, so I re-implemented Xmas Rush on the MC10. So I didn't, you know, I spent the time designing Xmas Rush on the Coco, and and then I just sort of re-implemented it on the MC10. So it was more of a coding exercise. The game design was all done previous to that. And, uh, of course, Xmas Rush was designing the game and coding it at the same time. Um, you know that's fun, <laughs> but um, that was fun for me. Uh, I guess that's the other thing. Sometimes the fun of coding can obscure that you're working on a game that's not very fun. Um, I'm not sure I have a great example there, but I'm sure we can all imagine having a coding problem. If you if you're a programmer and you've got the coding gene, you're into it. You enjoy the coding. Uh, it's very easy to then convince yourself that the game you're writing is actually fun, but maybe it's not, <laughs> right? Um, and so, you know, it kind of depends. Um, of course, fun is, is sort of uh, in the eye of the beholder. If you're writing another Tetris clone or, or something like that, um, it may be fun to write. Uh doesn't make it fun to play. It may be a, a horror to write, Um but uh, it still might be fun to play. So there really are two different aspects. Anyway, we're rambling a bit here. Just trying to get uh, some content out here for us to enjoy right before Cocoa Fest. Maybe we can have some discussions at Cocoa Fest about um, maybe some people have some game ideas in mind. Um, you can share them. Uh, find a, somebody uh, either for your own programming project uh, or possibly team up with somebody who's uh, wants to program but doesn't necessarily have a good game design. Um, I will say a lot of us uh, that write games fancy ourselves as both designers and programmers may or may not be excited to, to hear your great idea. <laughs> Don't be discouraged if that happens. Uh, if you can define the game well enough, maybe you can uh, go out and write it yourself as your own programming project. Um, and so maybe that's a, a thing, is, is sort of a two-step process. Uh, define the game and then write the code. And if you don't have a game, if you're not inherently a good game designer or don't have any great ideas, um, especially if you're uh, new to coding uh, or even if you're pretty experienced at coding um, but just don't have a good idea for a game, 
find an existing game and, and copy it. And it could be a, a card game or a board game. Um, you know, a lot of the existing good ideas for for uh, video games, you know, computer games, already have copies anyway. <laughs> so your your new copy of the, of Game X is going to compete with all the other copies of Game X. So um, I don't know if that's a good idea. But but if you are new and looking for a, a coding project that involves a game, maybe you should pick up uh, you know, like say a card game. I think it would be cool. You know, all this uh, talk of Texas Hold'em or whatever. It seems like a lot of people are interested in poker nowadays. Maybe somebody should implement a poker game for the Coco uh, 1 or 2 or even the Coco 3. You know, Coco 3 has some nice graphics you could put into uh, the card designs and, and uh, the table and, and or whatever else you want to have in the background. <laughs> anyway, the point of all this rambling is just to emphasize that uh, you need to, to keep in mind that game design is distinct from programming. Not everybody that's a good game designer is a good programmer. Certainly not everybody that's a good programmer is a good game designer. Uh, and I'm sure we've seen uh, examples out there uh, of games that uh, that come out that uh, are well programmed and you know maybe just aren't that fun. <laughs> and then we've seen others that uh, you know can be a lot of fun uh, that are uh, somebody's first attempt. I mean, Farfall was basically my first attempt at writing a game. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I certainly think it's pretty good now because I've refined it a bit over the years. But <laughs> may have not been the best thing when it first came out. But uh, you know. I think it's turned out pretty well. Uh, 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 have we pl- plugged Farfall enough uh, lately on the on uh, the podcast? Well, who knows? I guess I'll just go ahead and wrap this up then. Uh, but keep in mind, if you're a budding game programmer, you need to be uh, you need to put some thought into game design. Whether that means teaming up with somebody who's going to help you design a good game. Or copying the design of, a, of an established game, or if it just means tinkering around. Uh, I guess I will say that if uh, if you don't necessarily have a good idea for a game design uh, and you're a coder, sometimes you can put together a framework for a design and get your your basic game loop in, in place, and you're reading the joysticks and you're syncing with the vertical sync or whatever, and maybe you just put something on the screen and uh, push it around with a joystick or whatever and uh, maybe sometimes that's enough to get the juices flowing and you find out well hey this is kind of fun uh, you know I can bounce this ball off of this or I can I can shoot a projectile and, and uh, see if I can get it to, uh, to hit the target something like that uh, it's not a bad way to, to start designing a basic game uh, yeah it'll probably end up looking a lot like a bunch of other games <laughs> but maybe that's not so bad um, if you do come up with a good game whether uh, you're copying someone else's uh, or, or design or collaborating on it with someone else on the design or, or if it's come something completely original and uh, you get it coded up and running on the Coco uh, show it at Coco Fest or, and or send uh, or Dragon uh, it's show it at Coco Fest uh, or send me a copy if you want to see it uh, on a cartridge uh, well we can probably work that out too one way or another uh, get your game uh, published on a cartridge I think that'd be fun I think a lot of people will enjoy that alright well there's my plug uh, Coco Fest is coming it's going to be here really soon uh, and uh, I'm excited I hope you are uh, so we'll see you all in Lombard hopefully I want to blow the doors off get a hundred people or more there that'll be great um 
if that doesn't work out well, it'll still be Coco Fest. We'll have a lot of fun. So remember, you can only be young once, but you can be retro forever. So, <laughs> Coco forever. Thanks. Attention, Attention disc, disc users. users. Are you tired of I.O. errors and lost directory failures? No, no, no! Then you need the power of gold. Virtually eliminate dreaded disk I.O. errors. The tin connectors on your disk controller can oxidize, causing poor electrical connection between the computer and disk controller. Our gold connectors are soldered permanently to the connectors on your disk controller and provide gold contact between the disk controller and computer. The gold connector kit includes two connectors and complete instructions for easy installation for just $17.95 plus $1 shipping. Or send your disk controller to us and we'll install gold edge connectors for you for just $35.95 plus $4 return shipping. Give your computer the power of gold from Brantex Incorporated Color Software Services Division. Life can get pretty full sometimes, and when it does, it's important that we know how to deal with it. We all get busy studying, working, and managing our personal lives. Don't you deserve a break from the high pressures of life? Coco Fest is about more than vintage computing. It's about having a good time and giving yourself permission to enjoy life away from your worries for a few days. Coco Fest is about people. Network and make friends in a casual, relaxed setting. And while you may start off discussing the color computer, you will quickly find that people are discussing every facet of life. Coco Fest offers an experience like no other. If you've never been to a Coco Fest, why not make this the year? Put a little novelty into your life. Kick your feet up and enjoy a few days of freedom. Join us in Lombard, Illinois, April 22nd and 23rd, 2017. Coco Fest. Become part of the equation. From the nation's capital, the Coco Group. An unrehearsed program presenting inside opinions and forecasts on major issues of the day. Tandy is proud to support the Coco Group. From multi-packs to game cartridges, Tandy, because there is no better value. And now your moderator. Issue 1. Coco Fest is coming. Every year, fans of the Tandy Color Computer gather at the Heron Point Convention Center in Lombard, Illinois. It's a solid weekend of new product announcements, wheeling and dealing, seminars, and a no-minimum-bid auction. This year, the annual conference is taking place on Saturday, April 22nd through Sunday, April 23rd. Rumors of the prodigious event abound. Sources say that Saturday evening will contain a trivia contest and a festive dinner at an unnamed venue, although it is believed to be not Alexander's. Even Coco Cat may make a surprise appearance. Question. Should people attend Coco Fest? John. Should people attend Coco Fest? Are you kidding me? Of course you should attend Coco Fest. If you are at all serious about your Coco hobby, Coco Fest is the place you need to be. I mean, it's not even a question. Neil. Absolutely. I call Coco Fest the place to be. If you're into the Tandy Color Computer, if you had one, have one, or want one, or even if you're just curious about it, definitely get down to Coco Fest. Mike. It's a silly question. I agree with John, but I'd go just a bit further. People travel from California, Alberta, Maine. If you live within six hours of Lombard and you love the cocoa, you have a moral imperative to attend. Be there. 
The answer is yes. Coco Fest is a must-attend event. Predictions. John? Well, I think this is going to be a huge Coco year and a huge Coco Fest. We're going to have great speakers. We're going to have great social events. We're going to have tons of fun, a great auction. Um, it's just going to be a great time. Everyone should be there. Neil? I think it's going to be bigger than ever. With the success of last year's 25th anniversary, that was a huge turnout, and I think that got the buzz going. Looking forward to this year, hoping we blow the doors off the place. Hope to see you there. Mike? I predict you'll regret missing Coco Fest if you don't go. I also know that we're going to have the time of our lives. And I'll agree with Neil, attendance will be up again. And I'm excited to see everyone and meet a lot of new faces. This year, Coco Fest will set a new record for attendance. Next week, a hard look at Tandy Assembly. Is Ohio the right place for the venue? Bye-bye! I felt alone and isolated. Sure, email and social media are great, but I wanted something more. Something in real time with real people. I was in a rut with the same old routine. Then my doctor told me about Cocoa Fest. Cocoa Fest, held in Lombard, Illinois, is proven to help people break their routine and increase the enjoyment of their computer hobby. It was important to me that Cocoa Fest didn't involve harsh chemicals. The fact that it reduced my feelings of isolation helped get me that confidence to participate in the Cocoa community. Some people had changes in behavior, thinking, mood, innovative and beneficial thoughts or actions during or after Cocoa Fest. If you notice any of these, contact others right away. Tell others about any history of mental health improvement which will likely accelerate while attending Coco Fest. Use caution when operating vintage computing machinery. Common side effects include trouble sleeping, feelings of anticipation, joystick thumb, and increased levels of vintage computing activity. I'm very proud. I love myself as a Coco Fest attendee. Ask your doctor if Coco Fest is right for you.
All right, all you coconuts, welcome back to the Games Corner. However, this month, I don't have any game to review or talk about. I have nothing. No material. In the words of Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld, he's got nothing. Why, you may ask? Well, my mind is on CocoaFest. Isn't yours? I can't seem to focus on anything else at the moment, so I figured since my mind was on CocoaFest, I'd do a brief talk about it. The first fest I attended was in 2010, back when it was still held in Elgin. I drove the 12-hour trip from my house with a buddy of mine who doesn't even own a Coco. He basically came just for the adventure. I really didn't know what to expect. Up until this point, I wasn't sure if Coco Fest was still a thing, because it was always advertised as the number of the event, followed by annual last Chicago Coco Fest. But lucky for me, I was on the back then very busy and active website called Coco3.com. And of all people I ran into, Steve Bjork was in the chat. So I asked him, is this Coco Fest real? Is it still going on? He responded immediately and said, definitely. Next, he asked me if I was going. Keep in mind, this was only a few weeks away until Coco Fest 2010. So for the next couple of days, I hemmed and hawed, and it was actually my wife who convinced me to go. She said, you like this old computer so much, why don't you just go and check out this event? Well, that was enough for me. So I called the hotel and made reservations. On a side note, now I don't think my wife is thrilled she talked me into going, because it spawned into me going to other retro events, such as VCF Midwest, and many more. Well, before you know it, it was time to hit the road and make our way to Elgin. And just like that, bam, we were in Elgin, checking into the hotel. We didn't arrive until Friday, 11.30 p.m. our time, Eastern. And being so green to the area, we hadn't realized it was an hour difference. It was only 10.30 Central Time. And I'll tell you, after a long drive, we were thrilled to gain that extra hour. We checked in and got our room, only quickly having to go back down to the front desk to ask for another room. The one they gave us had a huge flag outside the window, creating mega shadows. As it moved, it totally freaked out my buddy. And well, hey, I respect that. At these events, I've learned you need to get a good sleep. So after all that kerfluffle, we make our way downstairs to scope out the venue and set up. I knew we were in the right place because I noticed Glenside cards scattered all about. On the cards it was written, 19th last annual Chicago Cocoa Fest. Yep, I knew right then and there we were in the right spot. We were peeking through the cracks of the locked doors into the hall and noticed a bunch of cocoa setups and we spotted a CM8 monitor that had been left on with that familiar nuclear green screen. This just reassured me this is the place to be. After exploring around, we made our way back up to the room and I could barely sleep from all the excitement of finally being here. Saturday morning, we woke up and had some free continental breakfast at the hotel and made our way down to the fest floor. Now keep in mind, up to this point, I didn't know anyone at this event. I only had a few dealings online via email with Mark over at Cloud9 ordering some items from him or the occasional email, thread message, or chat on the Coco3 website. I was going by memory seeing pictures of some fest vendors or attendees and even that was dodgy because back then, believe it or not, in 2010, the Coco didn't have as big of a presence on Facebook as it does today. Alright, now for the big moment. We make it to the main entrance, the door leading into Coco Fest. My friend quickly takes a picture of me standing behind the big sign Glenside had put up. Now the moment has come. We open the main door and ta-da! We are in the banquet room full of old Coco setups and retro-ish computers. At this point, I knew it was worth making the drive just to see this scene alone. And let me tell you, it was a scene. We immediately ran into the Glenside registration table and paid our admission fee. After paying our dues, we just stood there in awe for what felt like an hour. Speechless and not knowing what to say or where to start. Then right at that point, I'll never forget. Someone came walking from the back of the room quickly up to us. He introduced himself as Boise Pete from Cloud9. 
He asked where we were from and made us feel welcome to be here. That part left a memory burn for me because he was the first person that came to greet us. We then proceeded to walk around the room and check out all the awesome table setups and talk to the exhibitors as we went along. I was overly impressed with what I was seeing. Tables displaying things from a Coco FPGA, old Coco Fest shirts and memorabilia from the past, a bounty ball demo running on what? OS 9 level 3? I didn't even know that existed. And an old network interface cartridge prototype from a table called Monkoware run by a monk? We were like, what? The Coco seriously has a monk? How cool is that? A wildcard table with everything but Coco-related items. Cloud9's amazing dual table setup with all their top-notch products laid out and Mark himself showing us prototype boards of upcoming new products. We also saw a booth with a ton of music gear hooked up to a Coco. And then we hit the mother of all tables. A demo of Star Wars playing on a Coco 3 from a guy named John Linville. We were totally blown away to see a Coco 3 unmodified at that display full video with audio at the same time. I would have never thought in a million years a Coco could do that. To this day, my friend still mentions how impressed he was to see that display. It was definitely the headliner of our first Coco Fest. It was just so great walking around and checking out the displays and meeting a lot of people, such as Mark Merlette, Boise Pete, John Linville, Mike Rowan, Steve Bjork, Brother Jeremy, the Coco Monk, the Glenside crew, and so many others. Another person we got to meet was a Chicago fellow named Jim O'Keefe. It was interesting meeting Jim, as I won't forget that either, on how it happened. He saw us just standing in the hotel lobby and came right up to us out of the blue and asked if we were here for Coco Fest. He then mentioned, when I was your age, I was going to all these computer events too. He also mentioned this was his first time coming to Coco Fest, and it was also, we found out, Mike Rowan's first time as well. Afterwards, my friend and I took off for some lunch. When we arrived back, what did we see? They were just setting up for an auction, and what a blast that was. This wasn't your typical boring auction. There was a lot of humor and jokes being shouted out. Jim was even trying to get my friend to bid on a dragon, which Jim ended up winning in the end. I ended up winning some Coco software, a 512K Coco 3 memory expansion, and a boxed orchestra sound cartridge. I could go on and on about how much fun I had. I've never missed a year since then. One thing I'd like to mention is the few years I attended after my first time, I started to notice a small trend of it getting smaller. It was starting to decline, and that kind of worried me. There was less people showing up, and it seemed a lot quieter. But then I noticed around 2014, it started to slowly go back in the other direction. And then even better, I noticed in 2016, it was bigger than the first time I attended back in 2010. There was a lot of new faces and a lot of old school original cocoers from the past. It was just incredible to see this. The atmosphere and energy was fantastic. In my opinion, I give a lot of that credit to our host John Linville for plugging Cocoa Fest big time on this podcast. And I also give credit to Stevie Strobridge, the original gamer. He found out about Coco Fest through this podcast and made it out last year for his first time. And since then, he has been plugging Coco Fest on his YouTube channel. Well, I guess the moral of the story is, come to Coco Fest. We would like to see you there. Thanks for listening to my rambling about my first Coco Fest experience. And hopefully, I have at least encouraged one of you to make it out. Dino Wars. 65 million years ago, giant carnivorous beasts roamed the earth, fighting for territorial dominance. The only rule? Survive. Each player controls a rampaging dinosaur. If you aren't quick, you'll find yourself ruthlessly attacked by your opponent. 
develop your maneuvering skills. Then declare an all-out dino war on your opponent. Dino Wars requires a TRS-80 color computer with two joysticks. 16K of memory recommended from Radio Shack. Like a favorite pair of jeans or a warm cup of coffee. Some things provide us special comforts we can always rely on. Like your color computer. Come to CocoFest and meet others who just get it. CocoFest is about you, your story, your experience, your passion. Haven't you waited long enough? Join us at CocoFest in Lombard, Illinois, April 22nd and 23rd, 2017. CocoFest, become part of the equation. Well, we have reached the end of episode 23, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this. We have hit our two-year mark, and it's a good thing. I just can't believe it has already been two years. You know, I was thinking earlier today, I like being at the end of the podcast to give my two cents. It's like being at the back of a magazine with all those really cool ads, and even some of those too-good-to-be-true ads. Just not the trashy ones. I don't want to give the wrong impression. All right, enough babbling. I'd like to thank our host, John Linville, Mike Rowan, and also Boise Pete for being a part of the show. Of course, we'd like to thank all of you for listening and your feedback. You know we like to hear from you. Until next year, or as I like to call our new year, every Cocoa Fest marks a new year on this podcast, for episode 24. And most of all, we hope to see you all at Cocoa Fest. Thanks for listening. <laughs>